This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 198, for Thursday, September 12th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got a lot to discuss this week. I know that, you know, we're coming off uh, Bellator, the Ultimate Fighter. We got a ton of gaming news. We got some entertainment news to discuss. And for some reason, I forgot to shut off this fan. So let me try and get up and shut this off. So hold on one second. There we go. Much better. Figured I would shut off that fan because I didn't want it to mess up the audio, and of course, you're hearing uh, my phone letting me know we have Twitter messages, so gotta mute that. Anyway, so let's get into this week's show. We just uh, published a post for a contest that we're launching to give away a Bounty Killer DVD. Now, if you read Slick's wish list, you will have seen that that was one of those movies that he listed as a movie to watch or to purchase. Well, Bounty Killer reached out to us, the, the makers of Bounty Killer reached out to us, and we are doing a DVD contest. It begins effectively today and will run through till next week's episode, which will be MTR number 199. Now, of course, the rules are pretty easy, nothing crazy to do. All you got to do is check out the app that goes with the film and make sure to enter the results from the app on the site in the comments on the fan page in the comments section. Of course, one winner will be picked randomly and they will get a copy of bounty killer on DVD. Also, we're going to be putting up some videos for a, a, some gadgets that we got. And one of the gadgets we're also going to be giving away. We're still trying to figure out if we're going to give it away on Twitter or on Facebook. I know a couple of our followers on Twitter have kind of, been vocal about the Facebook fans getting all the prizes. But one of the big reasons why we like using Facebook for our giveaways is because it allows just better control and you genuinely get to see who's involved and and really wants to participate. The problem with Twitter, which is something that that has happened before when we've done the occasional giveaway, is that it kind of goes into the cloud and then people will only follow you to do the contest and then afterwards they end up unfollowing you, which sucks. You know, the whole, the whole point is to 
get new audience, get new listeners, uh, get get a new audience and connect with new people. So you really don't want to do that because obviously we want to make sure that the people that want to be here and have supported us get all the cool prizes. So we will be hopefully putting the rules up for that giveaway later on this weekend. I'm hoping that we can also bring in our YouTube subscribers as well for the contest. If you haven't subscribed, you can always find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV. Um, my take radio has to be all together and TV. So it's my take radio TV on YouTube. If you want to follow us there, of course we put up a whole bunch of stuff, unboxings, uh, different video programs that we're putting up. We're trying to do a whole bunch of stuff for our YouTube channel. And in the coming weeks, you'll be seeing a lot more stuff, especially after MTR 200. Once that is out of the way, which has had a lot of preparation and I'm really looking forward to delivering that show in two weeks. All right. So here's what we got to talk about tonight. We got to talk about Bellator, the ultimate fighter. We got to talk about some wrestling news. We got to talk about Fox news and a poll that they put up regarding violent video games, which I wanted to share in this week's opening monologue, but I figured I'll save it for the gaming segment. We also got a, the MPD numbers for the month of August. So we'll be discussing that. We got a ton of entertainment news, including some small screen news, a um, lot of great stuff happening in the world of TV, and we're going to be talking about that as well. Um, shout out to Mike Kingston, of course, creator of Headlock The Last Territory. They are continuing to collect, um, you know, don not donations, I guess, uh, funding for the stretch goals on their Kickstarter project. I already funded, um, I already donated to get my Headlock t-shirt, but if you still want to help out and help them get their stretch goals, I know that the latest stretch goal is a headlocked motion comic. Just go to kickstarter.com and look up look up headlocked the last territory and you should be able to check that out and participate if you want to help out Mike Kingston. Also, um, our very own Jay Santee is doing an online league for Madden on Xbox 360, so if you want to test your skills against one of MTR's Writers, you can look up Jay Santee on Xbox Live. It's RedMZA22, that's his gamer tag, and you guys will be able to do that. Um, last but not least, of course, one one thing that I'm kind of on the fence about is we have been moving away gradually from Block Talk Radio, and primarily, of course, the, the big thing is the dial-in number, and, you know, all the usual stuff with Blog Talk Radio. But I've been beta testing some stuff that hopefully, if I can test it out, maybe for episode 199, we may start moving away from that completely. Again, that remains to be seen. But, of course, everything is tentative right now. So, needless to say, we still got Blog Talk Radio. You guys can still call in with the existing number, as always. You can also use that number um, three, four, seven, three, two, four, three, five, four, one to listen to the show. Just don't hit option one. But of course the best way to get the MTR experience is mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv to get the high quality feed of the show. And of course, Mixler is the best audio source for that. All right. So I want to talk about, um, I want actually want to talk about nine 11 before we get into this week's show. Um, that's my, that's my monologue topic for this week. Of course, 9-11 was, you know, one of the most traumatic events in New York City history. And, of course, we are, you know, 
entrenched in moving forward. And the thing is that every September 11th, I feel that we've made tremendous strides in moving forward. But of course, the media takes it upon themselves to um, not so much help us heal, but to remind us in a way that, of course, is going to get the most ratings and get people tuning in. And of course, every 9-11, there's some sort of controversy. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. There was a, uh, I believe, a golf course that was doing a $9.11 special for a golf outing. And it ruffled a lot of feathers. A lot of people were pissed off and um, with with good merit. But there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. And, and this is something that it's it, uh, some people may agree. Some people may disagree. And I've talked to people out of state from from my home office, from, you know, my my regular job and just to see how they felt about it. And we were talking about it because this golf course that was doing this nine dollar and eleven cent special, of course, was in another state. Now, the thing is that nine eleven is is such a huge thing, not just here in New York, but in Washington in Philadelphia, all these areas affected by the by this terrible tragedy. You know, I know my you know, my wife works with someone who was affected personally. The thing is that for those of us here in New York City, it's a very, 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 very touchy subject. Every aspect of nine eleven is touchy for a multitude of reasons. From and, and I'm sure a lot of you guys know this too, you know, have this too, the people that think it was an inside job, the conspiracy theorists, um, the people who are personally affected then you got those that kind of use that to bridge the gap and talk about Obama and all the usual stuff. So it's kind of moved beyond a period of healing and become symbolism for people's agendas. And that's one thing I kind of noticed this week um, going into this event. Um, of course, the Freedom Towers construction is is moving along. It looks amazing. I was in Manhattan a couple of weeks back and we got to see it. Looks really cool. Looks, it's tremendous. I mean, it took a long time, but there's there's still a lot going on down there. The thing that gets me is that, um, especially on the political side, a lot of this stuff has has gone the route of money exchanging hands, and I say that because they opened a memorial area for people to go and reflect and grieve, et, et cetera, et cetera, and. There's been a lot of talk that they're going to be charging admission for parts of that area. And that, that's been pissing a lot of people off because they feel, you know, that that area for for all intents and purposes is, is a graveyard. So they want to go and reflect and, you, you know, just just go and pay their respects. And, of course, people feel that that's not something that warrants an admission, you know. And the the crazy thing is that Slick is telling me that they already are. As far as he knows, I've seen people that have said that I think they collected and then there was a backlash and they stopped. But I know that the intention is that once it's fully open, you know, the Memorial Museum and all the stuff that they're going to be charging admission. And that that's you know, it's a little crazy because it's like that's not it's not a theme park. It's not the Museum of Natural History. It's not any of that stuff. So for me, for me personally, I just find that to be a little crazy. I know that there's ways that you're trying to generate revenue, but. If you want to generate revenue, just hello, you're going to be renting out office space in there, which to me is just creepy in its in its own way. But what can you do? It's just it was crazy because going kind of backpedaling a little bit to the golf thing, they you know, they did the nine dollar and eleven cent golf special and of course, tremendous backlash. And 
you know, like I said, I spoke to a couple of coworkers out of state and some aren't even from New York to begin with. And they were saying that, you know, they they're they're touched by what happened in New York and, you know, during 9-11. But it's not it's not on the same level. And they kind of looked at it like, you know, it sucks for you guys, but it's not as bad as you know, we don't feel as bad. And of course, you know, you can get mad because you can be like, hey, how could you not feel bad? Blah, blah, blah. But. But for for those people that you know that they're in Atlanta, I know some a couple of guys that are in Florida, and they're like, "Yeah, man, you know it sucks, but you know you gotta." Some people just have moved beyond that. And an interesting was um, a guy I know on Facebook from the UK. He was talking about the um, the bombings in London and how you know the bombings in London. Same thing. They they have their you know their memorial and they do all their stuff. But the 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 people here in the U.S effectively he told me he's like they don't give a shit about what happened over there with us you know and then they kind of want the world to stop for for us here in the u.s and it's just really weird i think that honestly if if you were personally affected by the tragedy or if it affected you that day has to has to suck i mean you know my wife's colleague she said it she used to go every year to do the, the the reading of the names and i think for the last two or three years she said she she stopped doing it because it's just it's just way too too big of a traumatic day and it's just crazy for me i reflect you know and i and i remembered because for me personally i i watched out my office window the second tower fall and it was it was a a, a mind blowing experience it's something I, i'll i'll never forget because it's 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 one of those things where everybody kind of was was saying on facebook where were you that day and it's like well i was distributing mail through my office and I looked out the window. I was only a year in with the company. I work, I was distributing mail uh, and I just saw it from the office building. It was, it was probably one of the craziest sites. So I just wanted to, to kind of share my thoughts on that because people are becoming more and more split as the years go by. A lot of people are like, you know, we can reflect and not make this big spectacle of it. Others are of the school of thought that, we kind of have to keep it out there because it's something that's that's important and should be remembered. Me personally, since it didn't affect me in the way it affected some some people I know, I, I can't I can't empathize the same way. But it definitely for me personally is a period of reflection because that's it's just a, a traumatic yet historic event in in my lifetime, which I'm sure I'll have to tell my kids about when you know when when they get older. Figured I'd share my thoughts on that, but um, switching gears, let me get into this week's MMA because there's a lot of stuff we got to discuss tonight, and I'm really, really, really trying to avoid going into like three and a half hour territory because editing the show just takes way too long. So let's get into this week's MMA, shall we? So Bellator had their 98th event at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. I actually was going to have the opportunity to attend this event, but, you know, wedding preparations and tuxedo fittings kind of got in the way of that. But there were there were definitely some great fights. Bellator, that's one thing I have to say, continues to deliver stellar cards. The only problem is that, you know, sometimes I feel, especially this month, that there's just so much MMA on television that 
a lot of cards fall under on you know, they just they just get swept under the rug. The Bellator card, I didn't find out about it quite honestly till about an hour in. Usually I share the weigh-ins on mytakeradio.com or or whatever, but it was just so much MMA it just it just went went under the rug for me. And the other thing is that besides that there's just so many other smaller promotions that I'm trying to get to as well, especially because you know, we have access TV, so you get to see like World Series of Fighting and Legacy Fighting Championships and you know, dream when applicable. So it's just it's just way too much going on. Plus, of course, the UFC is just hammering us with with MMA on a consistent basis, which isn't bad, but it just feels like it's it's oversaturation for me personally. So sometimes I lose track of stuff. I know I talked a lot a lot about certain events with Ben last week, and we didn't even talk about the Bellator card because, like I said, I personally forgot about it. But one fight I wanted to talk about was the uh, middleweight fight between Jason Butcher and uh, Giva Santana, which was ridiculous because, you know, Giva Santana came out in the first round just putting in tremendous work, tremendous, especially uh, from a submission standpoint. And I really thought that the fight was going to go in Giva Santana's favor. And sure enough, think that the tide just turned, proving, as always, that anything can happen in MMA. And um, Jason Butcher uh, caught, um, you know, Santana shot him for a takedown. And when he attempted to pull guard, um, all of a sudden, just Jason Butcher teed off and caught him. It was it was crazy. And it ended so quickly, so abruptly. It was about a a minute and a half, about a minute and 15 seconds, minute and a half in the second round. And like I said, I really thought uh, Giva Santana had that in the bag, especially because he came in with such a. So, you know, so much great, such a great fanfare. It turns out um, after his loss, he actually retired, which is crazy. But like I said, the fight, the fight just it tripped me up because I was like, wow, this guy's submission game is on point. And then Jason Butcher dropped the hammer and that was it. The other fight that really was impressive from start to finish was Mikel Parlo and Brian Rogers. Um, Brian Rogers is a guy that he comes in there, super explosive, has awesome fights Every time he, 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 you know, he competes in Bellator. And I really thought that this was going to be one of those fights where he was just going to run through. But turns out that was not the case. On the contrary, what ended up happening was uh, Mikel Parlo, he ended up just kind of going into second gear, especially in the second round. Um, he really was in control of the fight in the second round. And then the third round, he turned it up. Mikel Parlo takes the fight via unanimous decision. But... Not for nothing, I'm sure this loss won't hurt Rodgers too much. He's, again, very explosive, very entertaining fighter to watch. So we'll be seeing Brian Rodgers again, definitely. And, of course, the the barn burner, the the, the epic, epic fight, um, Alexander Slomenko taking on Brett Cooper. I can only sum this up by saying, holy shit. These guys, it was just rock'em, sock'em robots from start to finish. There was just amazing amazing displays of technique from both guys um alexander shlomenko definitely um especially in the first round was in danger he got wobbled by brett cooper he caught a left hook in in that first round but he definitely you know he caught a kick to slow down the pace and he recovered nicely but definitely cooper cooper caught shlomenko in that first round and if he would have turned it up just a notch he probably would have finished him but again alexander shlomenko is a, is a very durable very tough fighter um, second round, all Cooper again, he ended up catching Shlomenko and with a nice slam to close out that round. 
Uh, but Schlemenko turned it up definitely in rounds four and five, uh, looking for huge swinging for the fences, KOs, just an extremely enjoyable performance from Alexander Schlemenko, especially in this title fight going all five rounds. Schlemenko retains via unanimous decision, uh, 48-47 across all three rounds. Again, super, super impressive fight and a great way to close out what turned out to be a solid card. Now, switching gears going into this season of The Ultimate Fighter, of course, the teams are set, uh, the fighters are picked, and we are ready to rock and roll. Of course, Team Rousey, coached by Ronda Rousey, she has uh, Manny Gambirian, Marina Schaefer, um, couple of other coaches on her side team tate misha tate uh master tong of course the the always lovable brian caraway jack anderson uh doing the wrestling coaching for team tate and like i said the teams have come together quite nicely uh team rousey as shana baszler jessamine duke uh peggy morgan jessica rakowski for the ladies for the gents chris beal david grant anthony gutierrez and michael wooten team tate is juliana pena Sarah Morris, Raquel Pennington, and Roxanne Mortiferi, uh, Mataferi running, rounding things out for the ladies. For the fellas, Cody Bollinger, Chris Holdsworth, Josh Hill, uh, Tim Gorman, and Luis Fissette. Now, the thing was, with, with this season of The Ultimate Fighter, Dana White was in full hype mode, talking about the beef between uh, the ladies, of course. there's It's no... It's no no question whatsoever, these chicks hate each other. Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate hate each other. Um, the fights did get picked in last week's episode with um, first-round pick for Team Rousey, Shayna Baszler, of course, a veteran, taking on Juliana Pena. Definitely um, a great fight, and both number-one picks. Um, so, the way the show started off, fighters were picking the rooms. Uh, they started showing a little bit of training. Started doing a little bit of storytelling. It was good. You know, just giving some focus on the fighters. Um, crazy thing that happened, though, is that, of course, um, you know, one of the guys got hurt, which was Gorman. Gorman got hurt, and he got hurt in training. Turns out that, um, you know, the doctors told Gorman he couldn't continue in the competition, um, and he was replaced by Luis Fissette, of course, Facet was happy to get that second shot. I kind of spoiled it when I was reading down the um, the fighters, but Gorman has been replaced by Facet due to an injury sustained um, in training. According to, to to what happened, he ended up tearing his hamstring. So you know that's that's a wrap for him. So let's get into the fights. Of course, uh, Shayna Baszler, the veteran, Juliana Pena is, um, of course, Misha Tate's friend. Ronda Rousey was coming in trying to get the first fight, set, make a statement by getting the number one pick out of the way. I will say that Shayna Baszler, definitely super aggressive, and being a veteran, I'd expect nothing less in that first round. She looked really good, just barrages of punches, looking looking fantastic on the, on the stand-up. Uh, Pena actually ended up securing half guard towards the end of the round, postures up, started dropping bombs on Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler did re- reverse it though and was standing you know was standing in guard and actually actually let me let me rephrase that. Um Peña postured up was battering Baszler. Baszler reverses it and she was in a standing position and she ended up just um taking Peña down. So definitely an aggressive and 
very, very one-sided round in my opinion. But round two, uh, Juliana Pena definitely, she got out of her zone a little bit, started finding her range, working her jab. She started throwing some really, really solid rights. Uh, Baszler then shot in for a takedown, but she got caught with a with a nasty strike to the head. And um, at that point, Baszler just, you know, she worked the fence. Uh, but Pena definitely, like I said, she hit her stride, started trading knees in the clinch, um, ended up kneeing Shayna Baszler in the face. And as it turns out, uh, Pena actually got a takedown in. Um, she had side control. Baszler gave up her back. At that point, Pena locked in a rear naked, and that was it. Uh, Shayna Baszler tapped out. Ronda Rousey, um, obviously very, very upset. She was in tears. Shayna Baszler crying, you know. She was she was saying, you know. And it was tough. It was a tough loss because, like I said, Shayna Baszler's a veteran. She was fighting before all the, all the glitz and the glamour and all the stuff. Like, I remember seeing Shayna Baszler fight on YouTube in, in some of those fights because women's MMA wasn't as accepted as it is now. And she, a veteran and, and, you know, you genuinely just, you empathize because it's like, she's been chasing this dream for so long and she lost it. But, um, you know, it was really an upset for Juliana Pena and, um, you know, it was just, it was just crazy. And, uh, the next fight, uh, of course, fight control goes to Misha Tate. She made Chris Holdsworth, taking on Chris Beal, and, um, you know, she felt that that fight was, I think, I think that fight's going to be very interesting, obviously, the, the gents have a lot to prove with, with the ladies, of course, coming in and having a war and a very competitive fight, um, of course, next week's trailer showing Rousey very bitter, very pissed off, uh, it's just, it's just insane, uh, again, while there is that that dramatic element there, I really feel that this season is coming along nicely, and I really feel that the ladies are are really going to outshine the guys because there's there's a lot more on the line for them. Obviously, the acceptance of women's mixed martial arts and the opportunity of down the road possibly fighting one of their coaches. It's, it, it, that's the craziest dynamic that nobody speaks of. It's the fact that you know you're you're basically training someone who down the road may be your opponents. Just crazy stuff. So let's get into the rest of the MMA news for this week because there are quite a bit. Um, first and foremost, a couple of fight cards started coming together. UFC 166, of course, title fight, Kane Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, uh, meeting for the third time. That's going down October 19th. Um, the main event for the heavyweight title, um, JDS and Kane Velasquez, the co-main is Daniel Cormier taking on Roy Nelson. Also on that card, the always exciting Diego Sanchez taking on Gilbert Melendez. Gabriel Gonzaga is meeting Sean Jordan and John Dodson's taking on Daryl Montague. The prelims are going to be on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Tim Bocek, Luke Rockhold, Hector Lombard, Nate Marquardt, which is probably going to be a fight of the night and somebody's definitely going to sleep. Jessica I is taking on Sarah Kaufman and KJ Nunes is taking on George Sotteropoulos. Now, on the prelims on Facebook, the fights are Adlan Amagov, TJ Wahlberger, T- Tony Ferguson, Mike Rio, Charles Oliveira, and Estevan Payan, and of course, Matt Grease and Jeremy Larson. But due to something, to an incident that occurred this week, the Matt Grease, Jeremy Larson fight has been scrapped. Matt Grease actually is, he's listed in intensive care at the Oklahoma University 
Presbyterian Hospital because he was actually really in, uh, seriously injured in a car accident. He was at he was at a red light, and a car rear-ended him. And it turns out that he's gonna have to undergo brain surgery, which is gonna be going down this Sunday. Um, it's it's just crazy stuff. MMA Junkie actually reported that a fund was set up. If you wanna donate to help with his medical bills or his care, um, the donation link I will put it in this week's show notes. Of course, the he it, no uh, it's 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 a no brainer. He'd be pulled from the fight. As of right now, it looks like uh, that fight is completely scrapped and. There's a lot of concern, obviously, uh, Matt Grease, he has two young daughters, Um, he was off duty uh, during his accident, and it was crazy because it it was a multi-car accident, and it's it's just, it's insane. Um, Very, very accomplished fighter, four-time state high school wrestling champion, um, who received a scholarship through the University of Oklahoma, he last fought at UFC uh, 157, where he lost via decision to uh, Dennis Bermudez. But he did get uh, two, you know, they, they were both fight of the night. But there was a fight of the night bonus awarded to both guys. Definitely a, a tough situation. I wish Matt Grease a speedy recovery. Hopefully, um, you know, he can come back from this. Like I said, it's pretty big, uh, especially considering that he was in critical condition and is undergoing brain surgery. So, again, that link, if you guys want to donate, I will include it in the show notes for you guys to check out. Uh, the women are taking center stage for UFC Fight Night 31. That is the fight for the troops card. And Liz Carmouche will be meeting Alexis Davis. That card will be going down November 6th at Fort Campbell in Kentucky. The main card, of course, will air on Fox Sports 1 with the prelims streaming on Facebook. Another fight that was announced that I'm really pumped for is Donald Cerrone taking on Evan Dunham. That's going down at the UFC's 20th anniversary show in November which is November 16th, and um, of course, main card pay-per-view, prelims on Fox Sports 1, and uh, Facebook as well, so definitely a great fight, those guys are are, are both fight of the night type of guys, and I know Donald Cerrone is going to come in there and definitely bang with Evan Dunham, it's not going to be nothing pretty, it's going to be straight, hardcore violence, and who doesn't love that, so... I wanted to talk about something very interesting that I read earlier this week, um... If you follow MMA, a lot of you guys have probably heard the name Mike Dolce, also known for the Dolce Diet, and of course he was on The Ultimate Fighter. Um, one of the things Mike Dolce has been known for is just for helping fighters cut weight in very effective fashion. And I've read The Dolce Diet, it's a great book, there's a lot of great tips to cut weight, the guy knows his stuff. And one of the craziest things that I read in an interview he did with MMA Junkie was the possibility of Frank Mir dropping weight classes. Now, we all know Frank Mir has always fought at heavyweight, and um, they actually asked if Frank Mir could fight, get this, at 205. And Mike Dolce said the following, I would have to sit down with Frank, and we'd have to talk about it, and he'd have to talk to his family and things like that. You know, he's a UF, he's a former UFC heavyweight champion, and I'm not saying that he needs to fight at heavyweight. Could he? Absolutely. But, you know... He could definitely fight at 205. And one of the cases that he cited was Kelvin Gastelum. Kelvin Gastelum um, lost 35 pounds to fight and to weigh, you know, to weigh 170 for his fight. And he competed at 194 pounds, which was the weight that he was when he won the middleweight title for the Ultimate Fighter season 17. So there you have it. I mean, 
I, I'd really, really be interested to see what Frank Mir could do at 205. Frank Mir is a, a very, very big dude. Um, and the thing is, it's not like he's like he's big and fat because he's not. You know, he's um, he, he's just a, ver- a very broad, a very thick guy. So I'm curious to see how he could come down all the way to 205. I mean, you know, he made, uh, you know, Mike Dolce made a very interesting point by saying if you're walking around at 250 pounds with more than 10% body fat, I think you could easily make 205. So uh, definitely very interesting. I don't know how that's going to go down, but I'd be curious to see if Frank Mir could make the cut to 205 and how well that would affect his performance. Not only that, but there's a lot of heavy hitters, a lot of dangerous guys at 205, and Frank Mir, of course, is is a wizard on the ground. So, you know, bringing his jiu-jitsu down to 205 and working on his striking, just being lighter on his feet, may actually work in his favor. So we'll see how that pans out. One of the other things that's kind of been making the rounds this week is the situation involving George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks. Of course, um, the plan was for their title fight that they were going to have um, a higher level of drug testing done, um, you know, a VADA test, which is a voluntary anti-doping test. And, um, you know, GSP wanted to go that route, and so did Johnny Hendricks, but there seems to be um, issues with, like, GSP has a place that he goes, and he wants um, Johnny Hendricks to go there, but Johnny Hendricks makes a point in saying, why would I go to the guys that you usually go to instead of going to somebody independently? So definitely very, very interesting. Um, Of course, Hendricks agreed to participate in the Nevada State Athletic Commission's testings, but not the the VADA test, obviously because of the situation where GSP wants him to take the test at the facility he uses. So definitely a lot of black, back and forth, a lot of grandstanding. I think, me personally, they should just use the regular level of testing and, and be done with it. The, the crazy thing with wanting to have this deeper level of testing is that while I understand that GSP wants to validate the fact that he's a clean fighter, GSP has been fighting for how long? It's not like he's going to go and, and piss hot all of a sudden. I mean, I understand that you want to do it to eliminate any possibilities and of course um, to dispute any rumors that have been over GSP where people have said that he's on HGH, but Again, it's just it's just too much back and forth, too much grandstanding, and it's taking away from the buildup to the fight. So I definitely hope they resolve it and they bang it out. I mean, you know, St. Pierre, he's been he, he he's been using the Nevada testing. He paid the sixteen thousand dollars to test both himself and Johnny Hendricks. Of course, um, eight thousand dollars will be given back to GSP now that um, you know Johnny Hendricks refused to take the test. So there you have it. I mean, the VADA testing, the Nevada state athletic commission testing, it doesn't, it doesn't matter either way. As long as both guys are clean going into the fight and after the outcome of the fight, they're both clean. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm just surprised that it's really taken. It's really gotten to this level where it's pretty much mainstream news, these fights over the testing, but we'll see what happens when that, when the fight goes down, like I said, GSP, as far as for the years that I've seen him perform, He's always been a clean athlete. Is there HGH or not? Obviously, I can't say, but if 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 they, he's going to this great length to, to take this more, I want to say more involved testing, then I think he's pretty confident in the fact that he's a clean athlete. So 
switching gears and going back into some announced fights, uh, the UFC on Fox Sports card that is going down. uh, Actually, that's um, Fight Night 29. That's actually been finalized. So that's going down October 9th. What the the only fight I really care about, and, and people probably are going to give me some shit about it, is the the main event Damian Maya taking on Jake Shields, and also the return of Matt Hamill. Only because I'm a big Matt Hamill fan, looking forward to seeing him and Tiago Silva square off, and of course the prelims as usual, Fox Sports One and Facebook. On the prelim side, uh, Husamar Palhares he'll be taking on Mike Pierce, which I definitely think will be a solid solid fight on the prelim side of things. Now, of course, we're still on this season of the Ultimate Fighter, but next season's Ultimate Fighter has already been decided, which is crazy. BJ Penn, who everybody thought was going to retire, will be coaching against Frankie Edgar for season 19. Now, the crazy thing is, obviously, we all know that coaches fight at the end of the season, Now, everybody thought that Frankie Edgar was going to take the fight at 155. On the contrary, that's not what's going to happen. BJ Penn will be fighting at featherweight. He's moving down to 145, primarily because he wants to avenge those losses against Frankie Edgar, but he also wants to try and become the first fighter in UFC history to win titles in three different weight classes, which is huge. So, definitely very interesting um, the Twitter, obviously the Twitterverse was not so enthused for a couple of reasons. Number one being that BJ Penn has lost three fights to Frankie Edgar. The other thing is that, there, that they didn't feel there was enough tension to make that a sellable season. Eh, I'm, of, I'm of mixed you know, mixed feelings with regards to that. But primarily, I mean, both guys go out there and they have awesome fights, but... I just I don't think BJ Penn is at a stage where he can sell a season of the Ultimate Fighter. I think if there was if he was facing a guy that he had some some more personal animosity with, then I think that would sell because you need a little bit of drama to kind of sell that show. But I'm not I don't feel you know I don't feel too good about that. I think um, it'll probably be a good season, but is it going to be a season that's going to be a barn burner? I just don't see it happening unless. Of course, the 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 fighters coming in just really steal the show completely, but that remains to be seen. Speaking of Ultimate Fighter winners, uh, the finale for the this season's Ultimate Fighter, uh, one of the fights that has been announced for that finale is Gray Maynard taking on Nate Diaz. The last time those guys fought was at UFC Fight Night 20, which saw Gray Maynard take the fight via a very 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 close split decision. Um, in the uh, season five of the Ultimate Fighter, Diaz had submitted Gray Maynard in the semifinal matchup during that season. The finale for the Ultimate Fighter season eighteen is set to go down November thirtieth. So there you have it: a couple of Ultimate Fighter contestants, and obviously it's going to open up uh, opportunities for these guys to challenge for a title. I think these the the end result of this fight, depending if it ends in devastating fashion, is is going to start kind of thinning the herd for guys that could challenge for the belt at 155. Another fight that was announced that I'm super pumped for is Mark Hunt taking on Antonio Bigfoot Silva. That's going down uh, Saturday, December 7th in Australia, which will be Friday, December 6th here in the U.S. So obviously there's going to be a huge time difference. Also announced on that card is Shogun Hua taking on James Tahuna as well. So 
I don't know how they're going to how they're going to do that. I think that with the big time difference, they're not going to want to air that on Fox Sports 1 so late. More than likely, it'll be on a tape delay, but it's definitely a fight I'm looking forward to seeing. I love Mark Hunt, uh, especially I'm a big fan of Pride, so I know him and Bigfoot are going to go in there, sling some leather. Somebody's going to get put to death, and that's going to be that. And, of course, Shogun. Shogun's always awesome to watch, and I think that this fight with Tahuna is a great fight to give him post uh, submission loss to Chael Sonnen. Now, one title we haven't really talked about the last couple of months has been the bantamweight title that Dominic Cruz currently holds. And of course the interim title is with Hennem Burrell, but Dana White has been saying that, um, you know, after the interim title fight at UFC 165, he said, um, I certainly hope this is the last time we're going to be doing an interim title fight. We're expecting his return at the beginning of the year. And if he can't return at the beginning of the year, then we're going to have to make a decision. So as of right now, Dana White was saying he came in here a few weeks ago and had lunch with me and Lorenzo, and he was very confident he'd be he'd be ready to go at the beginning of the year. So uh, definitely a very interesting turn of events, especially if Dominic Cruz is not ready. I'm sure that the UFC is going to have to really push and either strip and award the belt to Hennem Barrow or you know make a, a, a Hennem Barrow's next fight for the official bantamweight title but it's just it's just unfortunate i mean dominic cruz has had to endure two knee surgeries and for him to lose the belt without really defending it is just it's just a sad state of affairs lastly uriah faber will be fighting at ufc on fox 9 in december on fox sports 1 he'll be taking on michael mcdonald also it's really everybody's hoping that anthony pettis will be ready to take on tj grant for that card. We'll see if that is true. And that's going to go down December 14th. All right. So there you have it, guys. That's going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let's get into some wrestling because there is a lot to discuss. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. Yes, sir. We promised you a great main event here tonight. Look at that here. So let's get the ball rolling with uh, the opening segment. I think that Raw is especially going into a a pay-per-view. You would expect a bigger, I don't want to say a bigger show, but just seeing a lot more on the line with regards to just some, some risks from a creative standpoint, but raw was very paint by numbers to some degree. There were a lot of high points. I will say that obviously edge uh, appearing on, on this week's episode of raw was huge. And his exchange with triple H was tremendous. And it's funny because one of the things, and I said this on our Facebook fan page during the, the raw commentary from Jay Santi slick and myself throughout the evening, uh, it's that when you see edge out there and he's able to mix it up so effortlessly against, you know, the established guys in the WWE from a verbal standpoint, it really is unfortunate that his career was cut short due to injuries because edge is a guy that would be, he's, he's a bona fide hall of famer, even without the, the hall of fame title that he currently has. It's just, the thing is that he's, 
he was just great to watch. He could mix it up. He could brawl. He could do high flying. His mic work was good. He just he was just so effective in every role, whether face or heel. And him coming out there, a lot of people you saw him on Twitter like, "Hey man, maybe Edge is gonna be involved in a match tonight," or "Hey man, Edge is gonna probably assist Daniel Bryan in whatever match Daniel Bryan is in." And it's like, listen. Edge is not getting in the ring. He's not getting in the ring. Please get rid of the notion that Edge is getting back in the ring because Edge's spine is held together with Elmer's glue. His neck is held together with silly putty, Elmer's glue, and the tears of countless Canadians. And one wrong bump, one wrong move, and Edge will have to be shitting in a diaper for the rest of his life. So no... I don't want Edge back in the ring. No, it's not happening. I knew it when he retired and it was so, so abrupt yet so final. That was it. It's the same thing with people talking about Stone Cold coming back. Stone Cold feels that he may have one more match. He said it in some interviews, but I'm sure that doctors would probably be like, you know, dude, you really shouldn't do it. And I'm sure that whatever match Stone Cold Steve Austin did would be probably a super safe match with a guy that he completely trusts and that works very safe. Not to say that the, that the current roster isn't safe, but who knows the level of injury that Edge had to his neck and spine to where he can't even take a bump. He can't. Can't do it. But I will say that the use of Christian in that segment was well played because Christian was injured with a concussion and it was a great way to write Christian off of television as well. Minus, you know, Triple H is best for business, which I'm really, really hoping they make a t-shirt for because why not? A best for business t-shirt would be kind of cool just for shits and giggles. I'd wear it. I wear my Paul Heyman guy shirt in public. I don't care. I'm 33 years old with a wrestling shirt on. Sue me. Besides, it looks, it looks cool. The Heyman shirt looks cool, but Edge's return to television was just, it definitely was a shot in the arm to get the segment rolling. And quite honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing Edge being GM of Raw and keeping on keeping him on television constantly only because I feel that it would, it would just work better. You know? Slick says in the chat, Stone Cold had invasive surgery through the front of his neck to remove bone shards from his spine. He ain't coming back. That's the crazy thing. Obviously, Dude, I, I'd agree with you 100%, but he's kind of said, like, eh, maybe, possibly, maybe one more match. Eh. And it's just like, look, Stone Cold doesn't need to put anybody over. I'm sorry, he doesn't. Stone Cold is in a league of his own. He changed the face of wrestling, not only from a creative standpoint, but just from a performance standpoint. Not only that, but he's one of the first couple of guys that actually started getting a cut of his merchandise to supplement his WWE salary. Stone Cold doesn't need a quick payday. It's not like The Rock. The Rock, luckily, he never got any crazy injuries during his tenure. He could come back a couple of times as a one-off. Same thing with Brock Lesnar. Not a big deal. Rob Van Dam, same thing. But these guys that they've had these crazy surgeries, all this stuff, it's like a great example. Sid Vicious. We all know Psycho Sid. Now, you guys know 
especially the longtime fans, you guys know Sid Vicious broke his leg in a gruesome fashion, um, coming off the doing a top rope spot, well, a second rope spot that was just horrifying. Now, Sid Vicious has done a couple of wrestling appearances. He's done a couple of decent, you know, a couple of passable matches on the independent circuit, but he's not going out there having the type of matches that he had back then during his WCW and WWF career. It's not fucking happening. Like, if Sid Vicious came to the WWE and worked a couple of matches, it would be exactly that. Nothing crazy. Another great example was Vader. Vader came back on Raw. It was amazing. I, I, you know, I popped. I definitely marked out when Vader came out because I, I was a big fan of Vader, especially when he had the big crazy mask on. And Vader's a guy that... You know, he's had he's had a, a, a slew of knee injuries and leg injuries. He looked good, and if he came back and did like a like a mid-card run, maybe, possibly, very safe, I could live with that. But the thing is, for me personally, I just feel that these guys that, that end, that, whose careers are cut short by these terrible injuries, I understand the allure of wanting to get back in there. But um, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't. Like I said, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Edge, but seeing so many of these wrestling fans just on Twitter like, damn, man, hopefully Edge will get involved tonight. It's, it's just, I understand that you want to be entertained and Edge is entertaining, but I would not sacrifice the livelihood of any superstar for my enjoyment, especially a guy with that type of, uh, of history. You know, the, guy, the guy's neck is, is, is in shambles. And people just, you know, they, they kind of lose sight of it. And I wanted to vent about that because I must have seen, if I saw 100 tweets, it was a lot. Definitely, at, at minimum, 100 tweets about it. So, first match of the night was Kofi Kingston and Curtis Axel. Uh, pretty pretty paint by numbers. Uh, Kofi Kingston, uh, he got the victory via DQ because Curtis Axel didn't, didn't stop his attack after the five count. Um, it was weird because, you know, Heyman went in there, gave, gave Curtis Axel the business and, um, you know, Kofi Kingston ended up hitting him with trouble in paradise. I'm assuming they're probably going to start prepping Kofi for an IC title, you know, an IC title match against Curtis Axel. And it's fine. I just feel that Curtis Axel is a guy who needs to be feuding with somebody that will make him better not only from a wrestling standpoint, but from a promo standpoint. Feuding with Kofi Kingston is pretty much the equivalent of Kurt Axel, uh, Curtis Axel wrestling against himself. And the reason I say that is because Kofi Kingston is, is, is a great performer, a tremendous talent, and a great athlete. His promo work, sketchy as fuck. What are you going to do? Have Paul Heyman sell that, enti- sell that entire feud? It's really not going to work. It's not. Like... To, to say CM Punk challenging for the IC title is beneath him, CM Punk is probably the guy that's going to bring the best out of Curtis Axel. The problem is that you have a guy with a tremendous wrestling pedigree, with a great manager that just makes him work, but the problem is that any guy that you put him in there with, it's, it's, if it's a guy who, who wants to give Curtis Axel the rub, it. it for some of those guys, it'll be a step down, which is crazy, but but it's fact. Like, I really would have seen, I would have expected maybe if you wanted to go that level, 
I would have liked to have seen, you know, like like a Tyson kid or um a you know, like like a, a returning Tyson kid against Curtis Axel might have worked just because we would have it would have given us something fresh. Kofi Kingston, you almost you almost feel that he is a guaranteed US title IC title holder. Like like that's going to be his fate for the foreseeable future. Just a guaranteed mid-card champion. And and again, some of you guys may disagree, but I just feel that there are just certain guys on the roster right now today that are bona fide mid-card champions. They 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 don't have it yet for world title, but mid-card champions there are a plenty. Kofi Kingston, definitely a guy I could see just just holding that belt forever. Another guy that I kind of want to group in that category besides him is Justin Gabriel. Justin Gabriel is a a, a, a great a great wrestler, a high flyer. Crowd loves him. Mike work shit. But again, a guy that you can you can put that belt on and he can he can add a little something to it because of his athleticism. Another guy who I always felt was a, was guaranteed mid-card guy forever was Shelton Benjamin, who falls into the same category as Kofi Kingston. And no, it's not cuz they're black, it's just because they're guys whose mic work just just is in the shitter. Now, I've said this before, if they brought in Prince Nana from Ring of Honor and had him manage Kofi Kingston, that would definitely work. Definitely work, and I think that would help elevate Kofi Kingston's game a little bit. But right now, not so much. Slick says in the chat that mid-card champion material is Damian Sandow. You know what the thing is? You could say that, but Damian Sandow, from what I've heard, is a Triple H project. He's a Triple H guy. So you know Damian Sandow's being prepared for the, for the eventual title run. It's coming. A guy who who I can say kind of falls into mid-card champion territory is Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes definitely a guy that can bring, you know, just just great great storytelling and prestige to either of the secondary belts. I think that the problem is in Cody's case his mic work is still a little a little sketchy. And to illustrate something that Jay says, you know, Damian Sandow brings a lot of heat with him, which is true. I just feel that Damian Sandow is, he has that main event-ish kind of look. I mean, his gimmick, if if he moves up into the upper card, it's going to need to be tweaked a little bit. But, you know, I don't I don't see him being being that type of a guy. But, um, that Slick brings up a, a, a crazy point. He's like, uh... Sandow will hold the title for a while if Triple H makes him part of the new corporation. Okay, I, I I could see that. I could see that too. That might work. But the thing the thing is that like Kofi and Curtis Axel feuding over the U.S. title, while from a wrestling standpoint it may be moderately entertaining, nobody's gonna win because it's gonna be overshadowed by the specter of Paul Heyman. Neither guy's gonna become better from from a promo standpoint. The beauty of, of, of professional wrestling is that certain guys, when they feud with other superstars that are of a higher caliber, they come out better for it. They work better. They look better. It just, like, look at Ryback. Ryback's mic work is complete dog shit. Complete 
snarling <laughs> bullshit. But there's guys that he gets in the ring with that he just looks like he belongs. His match with Daniel Bryan, amazing. An amazing match. Amazing. His matches, even his matches with Cena, to a degree, were very, very good. But that's the thing. There, there are certain guys that are just guaranteed mid-card lifers. And then there are other guys that you look at, you're like, that guy's a main eventer. Uh, one guy, I've always said, bona fide, guaranteed main eventer, is Antonio Cesaro. He is a throwback. He is well-trained, has good mic work. Like, I don't understand how so many so many internet web, so many internet websites well so many websites obviously they're on the internet that was kind of stupid uh, so many websites say that antonio cesaro's mic work is shit his mic work is very very good it's better than 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 most of the guys on the roster cesaro bona fide main eventer another guy who just you look at him you see that he has it he just needs to be given the right feud to bring it out is big e langston who is rumored to be getting a face turn, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing. Honestly, I would have rathered a face Big E and a heel Mark Henry versus a heel Big E and a face Mark Henry because I think Big E Langston, you look at him and, and he kind of looks heelish, but when he was a face in NXT, the crowd was super into it. Meanwhile, you know, it's like it's like Mark Henry is bizarro Biggie Langston. Like, you know, Mark Henry's heel work, I've always said, is leaps and bounds ahead of anything he's ever done. And Jay also reinforced what I said. Biggie Langston is a huge face in NXT. I think I think Big E is a guy that he has the tools. He he can, he fits the mold of of you know African American main eventer, which is insane. You know, when, when Vince is like, damn it, I need a black champion. Oh, how about Biggie Langston? Not black enough. You know, like, like seriously, like you, like, I almost feel like Biggie Langston, they're scared to turn him. Really? Like, that's what it is. Like, you'd rather have, like, and, and I use not black enough because that's why art, you know, it, it's an R-Truth reference. Because seriously, R-Truth as a heel in TNA was tremendous. R-Truth as a heel in TNA in the early days was tremendous. Why they never let him work the same way in the WWE is beyond me. Obviously because of Vince's fascination with shucking, jiving black people. But seriously, I'm talking about heel R-Truth. And Jay knows what I'm talking about because I know Jay's watched TNA from the old days. Old school R-Truth, heel R-Truth, first TNA, you know, one of one of the first TNA champions was tremendous. Tremendous. This shucking, jiving, little Jimmy shit doesn't work. Heel work, like he did in TNA, phenomenal. Anyway, so, did a little bit of a uh, backstage segment with Paul Heyman talking about he's all hurt and fucked up, which of course you know was leading to um, to something bigger, which we'll discuss later on. But I wanted to talk about the second match of the evening. It was Dolph Ziggler and Bray Wyatt. Now, there's a couple of things to be said. Um, one of the things, and I was, and I'll elaborate for you know later on in the segment about 
is about Dolph Ziggler being in the doghouse. I don't know how true that is. Make of it what you will. But not for nothing, that match with him and Bray Wyatt looked fantastic. Not only that, but Dolph Ziggler sold like a champion for that match. He was he did tremendous work in that match selling every aspect of Bray Wyatt's offense. And again, you know, it's 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 a solid match. It's just a shame that that Ziggler the the luster is just worn off. Worn off completely. But I will say that when Ziggler gets out of the quote-unquote proverbial doghouse, he needs to be pushed to the moon because he's he's a guy that like I said you look at and you see, hey, this guy, you know, this guy's a main eventer. You look at him and you're like, Dolph Ziggler's a guy that can carry this company. You want to know why? He's athletic, he's good on the mic, and he really knows how to make his opponents look good. And I agree with what Jay says in the chat, that he expects big things. I agree. I think Dolph Ziggler is just what... If if rumors are to be believed, he said some, some stuff in an interview that pissed management off and... They're kind of making him pay the price for it. But, you know, what can you do? But I do agree with what, what Jay was saying about big things coming from Dolph Ziggler down the road. So, of course, we get a, a Gold Dust video package, which I want to talk about at length because that match was tremendous. But the um, the Paul Heyman thing, of course, Paul Heyman comes out with a doctor. He can't compete, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, you know, CM Punk came out there and um, beat Paul Heyman's ass, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the buildup for the pay-per-view, it was fine for what it was. It was a nice segment. Paul Heyman, of course, made it look good. Uh, CM Punk is awesome, as, as always. Let's um, let's talk about Natalia, Naomi, and Brie taking on Layla, Alicia Fox, and Oksana. I, I can't. I, I can't even... <laughs> oh my god! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. That that pretty much sums up the Divas match. Moving the fuck on. Alberto Del Rio took on R-Truth in what was a surprisingly solid, solid outing for both guys. The only problem is that Alberto Del Rio just sucks the energy out of a room because he's just not over. I love watching his interviews because he's very honest about professional wrestling. He actually said in an interview that Sin Cara injures himself talking, which was pretty funny. Definitely a charismatic guy, and, um, you know, he, he did his thing. He definitely did his thing. The problem with Del Rio is, like I said, he's just not, he's not over in the sense that people want him to be. And what I'm saying is, like, people don't boo Del Rio because they dislike Del Rio. They just boo him because they just think he's fucking boring as shit, which is a shame because he has a, he has a solid move set, but his... It just it feels like something is missing. I'm not telling you to turn him into Eddie Guerrero 2.0, but um, 
it's it's just weird that Del Rio can't get any traction. And I, I only hate the guy because his his gimmick is so generic since he's um you know bully I wanna actually say, you know, he's Mexican JBL and his match with R Truth was good. It was really, really good. A lot of people are like, Oh, you know, this match was bullshit, but I think it was solid work. And um I you know, Jay I remember he said in the in the chat uh, not in the chat during the raw commentary Monday that it was a good match and the crowd ruined it, which definitely I have to agree. The crowd was just was just dead, which was weird. It was super dead, but the match itself was was awesome. I think in Del Rio's case, he needs to kind of I don't want to say become more aggressive because that's that's working, but he needs either a, a a heel manager that works with him that isn't Ricardo Rodriguez or something. Because by himself, he's just—he's like Mexican Randy Orton. Just, just—you just feel that there's no charisma there. There's nothing there. You know, it's—it's—it's fucked up, but it's true. Like what made Del Rio so effective when he wrestled with Ricardo was because, you know, it's—it's one of those things where Ricardo made it work. Uh. What is Slick bringing to my attention? Dark Helmet says he cannot get on the page because it is plagued with ads. Invisible audio ads. Huh. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Obviously, I can't look into it now, but thank you for bringing it to my attention, uh, Dark Helmet. Uh, I don't want to say it might, you know, to check your browser to be safe, but I'll look into it and see what the deal is with that. Uh, the next match of the night, the returning Santino Morella, of course, coming out, taking on Antonio Cesaro. Cesaro uh, doing an awesome, awesome giant spin, which was pretty cool. Definitely like that. Uh, the, well, giant swing, excuse me. Um, definitely cool. Antonio Cesaro killed it in his match on WWE main event with Kofi Kingston. Uh, just once again, reinforcing that Cesaro is fantastic. It's just the fact that... Um, you know, it was a good, great homecoming for Santino. I've always felt Santino is a guy who is is so pigeonholed in his gimmick that you can't really appreciate his talent as a wrestler. If you watch him, if you look up like I've and I've said this before on numerous broadcasts, look up Boris Alexiev. That was Santino's initial gimmick when he was in the minor in the minor league, so to speak. Um, tremendous because he really is an accomplished wrestler. I just, I just feel that they, they, they've, they've put him in this weird predicament where he can't dig his way out of the comedy gimmick, which is unfortunate. The Miz took on Damian Sandow. Of course, Fandango got involved. The crowd was super into it. Sandow gets the victory because obviously the Miz was distracted, but you know, it wasn't. It just felt very hollow, that match. The Miz as a face does not work. Doesn't work. Just because you look at the Miz and you see douchebag. He's a guy that is such a natural as a heel that I, I just can't get into him as a face. I can't root for him as a face. It just doesn't work. I need to... The Miz just is effective as a heel. Nothing more, nothing less. Heal tactics all day. Otherwise, why, you know, why bother? I think, personally, if anything, The Miz 
when he was a heel uh, feuding with Daniel Bryan and when he was working with Alex Riley was probably some of the Miz's best work. The only other time that I can say his work was sur- was surpassed was when he was working with John Morrison. Their work together was tremendous. All the crazy skits, all the stuff they did was just so effective, so good. And now it's like, it's weird. It's just so weird. You know, Miz is a face. I just can't get into it. Anyway, the the last match of the night, Goldust and Randy Orton for Cody wrote, well, not the last match, but like the match that was built up for the evening, excuse me, was the fact that obviously Goldust was trying to fight for uh, Cody Rhodes' job. The match was amazing. Really amazing. I mean, it had a lot of great moments, super solid Goldust definitely a little winded at the end, but no big deal. Nothing crazy. He still looked good out there. And it's been said he went when the match was over and they went to the back that they got a standing ovation from the superstars in the back. It was it was such a great match because it not only told a very, very effective story, but um, the thing was that the story that was told really just it, it played well. Like you could see the the veteran hand of gold dust just just doing his thing doing his thing the veteran hand telling such a great story and it just it reinforces something that i've said before and that's that there are certain guys that wwe just doesn't realize how important they are till down the road gold dust is a guy william regal is a guy yeah that, that i've always felt those are guys that they're just they're so solid in the ring um Finley, Fit Finley was a guy who I feel was like that. Dean Malenko is another guy that I can throw in that category. Um, Perry Saturn was usually very solid in his matches. There's just a lot of guys that they never they never hit that that upper echelon, but you can always guarantee that they're going to have solid solid matches. And and that's one thing. Goldust went out there. He hung he hung in there with with Randy Orton and. Um, it was it was just well well told well a well told story and you knew Goldust wasn't going over because obviously Cody Rhodes is getting married and he needed the time off but still it was it was just it, it felt right it really 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 felt right Rob Van Dam took out took on Ryback and that match was a fucking sloppy piece of shit why because Rob Van Dam's style meshes well with most guys. Not Ryback, because Ryback's style is fucking slow, methodical, you know, Goldberg 2.0. Doesn't work the same. Like, Ryback is the kind of guy that you send out there when when you want to tell the face he has a mystery opponent. He's the guy that's very, very physical, but you can't put him in there with guys whose style is completely unorthodox because it just doesn't mesh. Now, people are like, oh, well, you know, he went out there and he had a good match with Daniel Bryan. And to go with what Slick said earlier, it's like Danny Bryan could have a, a, a stellar match with a wet paper bag. The problem is that the contrast of styles really just ruined this match. Um, super sloppy. Um, I, I kind of got the vibe Rob Van Dam was going through the motions just because it was, it was, it was weird, you know? It was, it was just such a weird match. Um, it's, you know, it is what it is. But, of course, we had that match, which was sloppy as fuck then we get redeemed with a beautiful match between daniel bryan 
and Dean Ambrose. It was it was amazing, an amazing match. Um, great storytelling as usual. Ambrose said in an interview recently that he wants to be the top villain in pro wrestling. And if and if and if this match was any indication of that, I think he is well on his way. Dean Ambrose is tremendous. He is a guy who you can see has has that it factor of villainy. He like you look at certain guys, you're like that guy, bona fide heel, amazing heel. Ambrose is that guy. Like if Dean Ambrose ever became a face, it would be the weirdest thing ever. Because you just look at it, you're like, yo, that guy's a psychopath and a lunatic. And that's that's Ambrose to a T. And of course, you know, the whole big the, the big show thing kinda kinda killed it. But Daniel Bryan getting his uh getting the upper hand obviously to close out the show was was effective, but we all know that him gaining the upper hand Monday, odds are he's not winning the belt Sunday. That's usually the case most times, and we'll see if that logic holds true, but you know. It was Ambrose really saved it. Big show, I'm tired of his fucking crying. <laughs> Him crying is just, just, just sad. It is some sad shit because you just look at this giant seven foot tall wrecking ball. Who's, who's just, (laughs) it's all he does. All he does. Jay says that they should bring Maurice back with the Miz. I, I wouldn't mind that. That might work because you, it's so easy to hate that chick. Don't get me wrong, she's, she, she looks fantastic, but it's so easy to hate her, and it would guarantee people hating The Miz for a heel run. It's it That works. It does work. And yes, I have seen Andre the Giant cry. I've seen some, some Andre crying uh, stuff, and it's just, it's bad. Like, these big dudes. Like, <laughs> the only guy that, that cried and made it look believable and effective was Mark Henry. With that, with that big swerve with John Cena, that worked. Raw as a whole, with a build-up to a pay-per-view, was okay. It had its misses, but overall it was solid. Out of a 10, I'd give it like a 7.5, even an 8, just because Ambrose and Bryan and Goldust and um, Randy Orton were just fantastic matches. So, let's get into some of the other wrestling news. Um, one One guy I wanted to talk about, this week was Chris Nowinski. Um, of course, he is at the forefront of concussion research. Um, after the Chris Benoit incident, he was very vocal about concussions in professional wrestling. He actually did an interview with the Eagle Tribune talking about the concussion he suffered by after he got kicked in the head by Bully Ray, um, which, of course, led to his retirement. And there's a couple of things I want to share with you which are very interesting. He was asked about his last match, and he said that his last match was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was a tag match. And he said his short-term memory was shot. He remembers saying to his tag team partner, if I black out, take it home. Of course, he shared his, th- his thoughts and his story of post-concussion syndrome. And he said, my biggest mistake was that I lied about it for five weeks. I thought I was supposed to be tough. Rather than let my brain recover, I ended up needing to be sedated every night so I could sleep. A drug sleep is not a good sleep. I woke up a lot of times in the middle of the night thinking I was choking to death. It was bad. Really, really bad. And it, and it's true. I mean, one of the things that people talk about with concussions is that you may feel right 
but you may still not be anywhere near recovered. And him talking about like using drugs to fall asleep, you're you're looking at a guy when Chris Nowitzki first debuted. I always felt that that guy would be a star just because he understood the business. And even talking about this, I mean, the guy, you know, Harvard educated guy, super smart. His his understanding of post concussion syndrome is is amazing, obviously, because he's he's experienced it. But to to go into what he said about about lying about it, about feeling that you know he could just power through it, there are a lot of guys that go through that. There are countless football players that get concussions, and because they want to be back on the field, they're like, Nah, man, I'm good, I'm good. Let me go. And then they go out there and they get another concussion or worse. The you know the study of concussions is still there. There's incredible debate about you know better padding for helmets, uh, better ways to gauge recovery. I think WWE, after working with Chris, with Chris Nowinski for so long, I think they understand the need for their superstars to really get ample rest and recovery. I mean, look at Christian. Christian got his concussion. I believe it was not last Monday, but the Monday prior, he got written off. And of course they, you got to do, I believe two levels of post concussion testing that you have to pass before you get clearance to come back. So I think WWE has definitely stepped it up. And I think that it's something that more organizations need to look at closely. Now they were asking him also about, you know, the advancement of medicine for concussion, for concussion patients And he said, we have to do a better job at identifying concussions when they occur. Studies show that only 10% of the concussions that kids get are identified as concussions. Then you have to give the brain some rest. There's also a cumulative effect. You don't want to have too many hits to the head. Little League Baseball has pitch counts to protect arms. How about hits to the head? And it's true, there there definitely are certain precautions. and, And him citing children is the best example because it's true. I mean, uh, you know, peewee football, uh, little league softball, there's countless opportunities for kids to sustain concussions, which may never, ever, ever, ever be diagnosed. And, and I agree. I mean, there's, there definitely needs to be more awareness because concussions are, are huge. They have long-term effects. I mean, you see, if you talk to some of these guys in the NFL, that have retired and are dealing with post-concussion syndrome. The stories that are told are incredibly tragic and incredibly horrific. These are guys talking about how, you know, they black out. They wake up hours later. Don't remember how they blacked out, how they got to where they were. You know, they forget their, who their kids are just really, really crazy stuff. But you know, I'm really, I'm really glad that Chris Nowinski continues to use his knowledge to, really kind of push concussion awareness. And I'm really glad to see WWE taking such an active role in ensuring that, um, you know, that that doesn't continue or that, uh, you know, companies are better, better equipped to handle not only concussion diagnosis, but also, um, concussion treatment during recovery, um, during recuperation and obviously afterwards as well. This next bit of news doesn't necessarily fall into the wrestling category completely, but it's worth sharing. Uh, Wrestling at the Olympics was supposed to be voted out, but it will be reinstated to be competed as normal for the 2020 Olympic Games. Um, It received 49 votes in a secret ballot vote 
Um, second place in the vote was softball, baseball, and squash got 22 votes. So there you have it. Originally, uh, the decision was to remove um, you know, wrestling from the Olympics, which obviously affects not only um, the futures of amateur and professional wrestlers, but also mixed martial artists as well. The 2020 games will be taking place in Tokyo, and I am happy to report that wrestling will be a part of it. I'm sure a lot of you that have that collect wrestling figures know all about ringside collectibles. They're actually holding an event here in New York City. I know some of our local New York listeners may want to check it out. Um, they're going to obviously have a lot of awesome collectibles. And also Mattel will be there unveiling the latest WWE action figures and also doing a Q&A. But on top of that, there's going to be some autograph signings as well. Um, Daniel Bryan is going to be there. Caitlin, Rob Van Dam, and AJ Lee. So if you, if any of you guys are in New York City and want to check it out, that event will be October 26th. You can go to ringsidecollectibles.com and get all the details, but the signings are going to be as follows. From 9.30 to 12.30 in the afternoon will be Daniel Bryan. Also from 9.30 to 12.30, you can meet Caitlin. And from 1 to 4... You can meet Rob Van Dam and also AJ Lee. So there you have it. Speaking of Daniel Bryan, got to extend some congratulations as he has officially passed the 1 million Twitter follower count. So congratulations to the one and only Daniel Bryan. Now, I knew Jay was going to write, hi, Caitlin, in, in, the, in the chat. Are you going to go to the signing, Jay, and, and give away your money to get Caitlin's autograph? I don't know how well that'll go over. But um, it's it's worth checking out. I mean, you, maybe you might want to take uh, your little girl to that and uh, get some cool toys. Anyway, so I got to talk about a retirement that was announced earlier this week that really bummed me out. But considering um, considering that this person hasn't been on TV in quite some time, I I, I can kind of I kind of don't feel too bad, and that is the one and only Jim Ross. Jim Ross announced his retirement um, while well, WWE announced Jim Ross's retirement earlier this week. And of course, Jim Ross acknowledged it as well. But it seems that the story of Jim Ross's retirement isn't 100% accurate. Again, this is all speculation, but the rumor is that Jim Ross was released from his contract due to the incident regarding Ric Flair at the 2K sports event during SummerSlam. I don't know how legit that is, but a lot of people felt that Jim Ross was, you know, was partially to blame for the whole incident with Ric Flair. And I think personally that's fucking stupid because there's there's more there's more to Ric Flair's situation that Jim Ross just couldn't he couldn't handle. It's not Jim Ross's job to police Ric Flair. Ric Flair's fucking crazy. Ric Flair's a crazy son of a bitch. We all know that. To blame Jim Ross or to hold Jim Ross accountable for for the incidents that took place is fucking stupid. That's all I'm saying. It's fucking stupid. If it's true, it is complete and utter stupidity. Simple as that. It really is. Now, Jim Ross, you know... As far as as I as we all know, he's pretty much acknowledged his retirement as exactly that his retirement. He actually posted on his blog 
And he said the following, I wouldn't have changed a thing in WWE except I wish that I'd been able to avoid some health issues along the way. That was the hand that I was dealt and I simply refused to fold it. Other than my health issues, my WWE run has exceeded my wildest dreams. I was fortunate enough to play a key role in arguably one of the most interesting and compelling eras in our business's history. So, you know, obviously lots of wrestlers were were very vocal thanking Jim Ross and even even myself. I got a, you know, Jim Ross, Jim I grew up watching Jim Ross. He he was right up there with Gorilla Monsoon, um just just guys that you watch and they just tell amazing amazing stories. It was cool to see Vince, you know, tweet thank you to Jim Ross for 20 years of service. I'm sure he tweeted that after calling him up and going, "You're fired." I I just feel that that happened. Uh Triple H also, you know, he tweeted thanking Jim Ross for his contributions. Um it's just it's just sad, but considering we haven't really seen Jim Ross on TV a lot, it's okay. I mean, the guy's in his 60s. He's dealt with a lot of health issues and I think going out on a high note, I'm sure he'll he'll always be tied into WWE in some capacity, but it it just, you know, it's sad. Like, that's a guy that you're like, wow, Jim Ross retired? Why? But it is what it is. I'm sure down the road we may find out the truth, but for now, Godspeed, Jim Ross. Thank you for everything. And with that, it would only be fitting that I play this. folks jim ross one in a million um the voice of of probably a, a an infinite infinite number of awesome wrestling moments that particular moment was stone cold steve austin whooping eric bischoff's ass at no way out and it, it was just tremendous the other one um can i find the other one i think there's one of him just losing his mind is it this one let me see So many great JR moments, but yeah, Jim Jim Ross definitely he'll his voice will live on through YouTube and countless wrestling videos and other projects. But all, all I gotta say is thanks, man. Thanks JR for uh, an 
awesome number of memories. And you know what? A retirement that is well-deserved. And I figured that's a great way to close out the, uh, the wrestling segment for this week. Let us get into some video games because there is a shitload of stuff to discuss, including MPD numbers. And I kind of want to talk about the, um, the latest poll from Fox News. And I figured we're going to open with that. Let's get right to it. So, instead of starting video game on video the video game segment this week on a high note, of course I got to start it by pretty much shitting on Fox News because they are obviously shit dicks. But besides that. Fox News put up a, a, a poll, which I was kind enough to share in the chat room this evening. And the poll was the following. Do you believe violent video games are to blame for inciting mass murderers, as some researchers say? Now, your choices are red for yes. I guess that's orange for no. And blue, not sure. So... You go over each state, the majority of the U.S. map is orange. Some states are white, not literally, but white just because they're 50-50, but the majority is orange. Like New York State has 49% of the vote saying that video games are not responsible for inciting mass murders. But here's the crazy part. 32% of New Yorkers feel that that is true, which is, which is embarrassing. Then we move on to Indiana. Indiana has three votes, giving it a 100% margin, citing that violent video games are to blame for inciting mass murder. Fucking crazy stuff. Crazy. If you go down to Florida, the, the poll results for Florida which, of course, is home to a lot of our listeners, including Dark Helmet, obviously not for long, but um, 70% voted no, 30% in Florida voted yes. Now, here's the, here's the thing about that. If you read the news on a consistent basis, especially when it comes to news regarding Florida, you know that Florida has a ton of crazy shit that happens that has nothing to do with gaming. Nothing. Nothing to do with gaming. Nothing. Just crazy shit. Guy throws cottonmouth snake at wife. Snake bites wife in the face and she dies. Like, those are the stories that come out of Florida. Or guy rides in car with a possum with no pants. Like, that's the kind of shit that, that you hear in Florida. Or babysitter runs meth lab inside kids treehouse kid plays enforcer like that's what you hear in florida but regardless of the results regardless of what's being discussed the fact that so many people can vote yes on something that is so stupid because it, look let's let's talk about this and I'm going to go into, into some different territory because there's a couple of things. When I shared this link on the, on the, on the, on our Facebook fan page, 
one of our fans wrote the following, and I quote, because, oh, mass murderers, because Jack the Ripper played so much GTA. That's from Nelson in our, on our fan page. Isaiah on our fan page wrote, what causes the most violence is not video games, but religion. I can count on my hand how many people died for video games, but for religion, I'll need a miracle to count how many people have died. There's, there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff, but here's, here's how I see it. And, and this is, again, the views about to be expressed are my views and do not reflect the views of the staff of my take radio. First of all, Adolf Hitler killed how many people along with the Nazi party? How many fucking people died during the Holocaust? Do you think that Adolf Hitler was inspired by a rousing game of Super Mario Brothers? Was he? Do you think he was inspired by a by a hardcore Qbert gaming session? Seriously. You know, do you think Ted Kaczynski the Unabomber was inspired by Black Ops to blow people up? Do you think that? Do you? Seriously, did did Osama bin Laden think that it was a wise idea to 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 fly planes into the World Trade Center after a rousing game of flight simulator on on his MS-DOS computer in his cave? Get the fuck out of here. That's what that's what kills me. Listen. The violence that occurs in our country, in our lives is a product of numerous things, numerous. You you know, you can't say that your kid beat up another kid because the kid was defending himself. No. You got to say, "Oh, my kid watches too much pro wrestling. That's why he did it." Or my kid, and this was something that happened when I was growing up. Oh, my kid watches Power Rangers, and that's why he did it. Or etc., etc., etc. And the crazy thing is that this isn't a product, and I've said this before. The violence that happens regarding our youth in this country is not a product of just gaming. It is a product of shitty parenting or kids that just have psychological fucking problems. That's it. Now, of course, the argument can be made that if a kid has psychological problems, that the video games are the trigger. Now, if you're a parent and you know your your kid has psychological problems, whether it's, you know, uh, deep sociopathic tendencies or, or psychopathic tendencies, whatever the case is, as a parent... If you are aware of that, then you should ensure that your kid doesn't have a vehicle to consume that kind of content. These are the facts, people. This isn't me spouting off some shit to run for office or some political rhetoric. These are fucking facts. I know countless parents, countless, that are well informed about the gaming rating system, the movie rating system the TV programming that their kids consume. They know this shit. They know it. For every five parents that are going to buy their kids GTA 5, there's 15 parents that are going to read the box and go, I can't let you play that. I've seen it. I went to on, on lunch three times this week outside of work, and the first time I went to lunch, 
I went to lunch at Roosevelt Field, which is a very large shopping center. I went there. I had some lunch at Johnny Rockets. Shout out to those guys. Went into the GameStop just looking around. Kid comes in with his mom. She's buying him Disney Infinity. I remember because the kid had the big-ass box in hand. Kid goes, picks up GTA because he's like, Ma, I got five bucks. Can I pre-order this? Mother grabs the box, goes right to the corner. She goes, what have I told you about these games? What have I told you? But Ma, it's not that bad. What have I told you? If the rating is for 17, I can't play it. And you know what I said to her? From, from from the corner where I was standing, I said, you're doing a great job. And she, she heard me and she goes, thanks. If I don't do it, who will? That's what she said. If I don't do it, who will? And that, it, it resonated with me because it's true. There's no bigger statement than that. If you don't police, protect, and guard your children who will, you know, it's not Walter White's job or, you know, it's not James Vanderbeek's job or Ben Affleck's job or Jim Ross's job or Vince McMahon's job or Dixie Carter's job to watch your fucking kids, your job as a parent, your job. But you know what the problem is? It's very easy for people to deflect You know, it's very easy for people to deflect because they refuse to acknowledge the fact that they are flawed parents. Flawed. And I'm sorry. There are some flawed parents. And sometimes, and I've said this, and I said this actually to somebody in in Target recently. There was a woman in Target that was yelling at her kid as she was pushing the car. She's like, oh my God, shut up, shut up. Shut up. I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you. And I'm looking at her and I look at my wife and the lady in front of us was looking too. And the lady goes, some people just shouldn't have kids. And I go, this is where I'd like to do to implement my sterilization program where mother and father take a fucking quiz prior to having kids. And if the quiz dictates that you are an idiot, you're just not allowed to reproduce. If you're a moron that can't differentiate right from wrong or common sense, then then you shouldn't reproduce. You shouldn't. Here, drink this Drano. Cuz cuz you can't do it. You can't. I'm I'm sorry. It's it's people are people are going to hear this probably within the next couple of days and they'll be like, "Damn, Rich, but the fact is that you see Fox News and and we already know that they're known for their biased broadcasting, but the media outlets that exist exist to generate and propagate fear. The news isn't about the news. The news is about making you scared, scared of, of what you eat and where you go and what you drink and what your children do and everything. I watch the news with, with an eye of skepticism, not because I don't want to be informed because one of the things that I feel we are is informed due to our access to social media and the internet, but I just want to be informed in general. And because of that, you know, I'll drive to work and listen to 1010 wins in the background or, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll go to like Politico 
or I'll wander into certain groups on Facebook or I'll wander into CNN or Fox News or ESPN or Yahoo just because I like being informed. I like being informed, but I like to also generate my own opinion. But I've learned that with the news, the biggest thing out there is promoting fear. Bloodstain Lane, who's a friend of the show, he talks about, you know, the Illuminati and the reptilians and a lot of crazy stuff in his videos. But there are certain things that he talks about which are legit. Our media is built on keeping us scared and stupid. That's it. Scared and stupid. If I watched every every bit of news with an ounce of of just immersion, like just immersing myself in it, I would go out there and punch a Sikh in the face because that's what the news is making you see. You know, it's making you think. You know how many guys I know, and I know a couple of guys I worked with that were Sikh. You know, they wear the turban. And I know them. They are Sikh. They're not terrorists. They're not Taliban. They're Sikh. You know, they, 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 they're nice guys. They're good people. And every time 9-11 rolls around, they're the guys that are that are called towelheads and terrorists or bin Laden, etc., etc., etc. And I, I talk to these guys. I know these guys. And a couple of them I'm still in contact with. And I'll go, hey, man, how'd it go? He's like, not too bad. Only got called a terrorist once this year. And you know where that comes from? The media. They promote fear. Just because you see... A, a, a bomber on television and he has a long beard and is wearing is wearing a turban doesn't mean that every guy that's out there wearing a turban is trying to kill you you know doesn't doesn't mean you shouldn't be aware but it doesn't mean that they're trying to kill you that's the crazy thing and that's what kills me with the media especially seeing this as a poll because you look at this poll you raise this question and you and especially with what what's happened in in Connecticut and what happened, you know, with with the with the Dark Knight when it came out, you, you're instantly reading that headline, and you're like, "Wow, mass murders! These were done by young guys. They kind of played games." Yeah, I could see where that's right. And what happens is they'll take that the results of that poll, and they'll they'll tout it on television. Sixty percent of Americans said that you know violent video games lead to violent behavior. You know, that's what they do. Violent video games, people. How are they affecting your children? Is your child a potential mass murderer? Is Call of Duty to blame? Tune in in 60 seconds. It's like, come on, man. Just lack of education and lack of being informed is is the downfall of our society. I can ask 10 people what, you know, what song did Miley Cyrus perform at the VMAs and I'll get the answer at the drop of a hat. But if I ask if I ask what kind of gas was used in Syria, nobody gives a shit because it's not important because that's that's, you know, the media making you dumb. My Take Radio is a source of entertainment. Yes, I come on here and I inform you guys and I share my thoughts and I do funny voices, but, you know, it, that's it. 
you know, to 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 quote this because I know Slick will appreciate it. Do you think that me entertaining you makes you in charge? Does it? It doesn't. It. I entertain you, but you're not in charge of nothing. I am because I brought you here. It's the same thing with the press. They're in charge. Everybody's like, yeah, man, I know. I'm informed. No, you're not. You're the guy that goes to Fox News every day. You're that guy. Or or, or the guys I talk about, the guys who talk about America, you know, the, the guys that automatically are so, are so pro-American that, you know, they can't get their heads out of their asses. Or the guys that are so so for religion or so against religion that that, that that the world is just crumbling around them. Everything is to blame. Everything is to blame for, you know, the religious guys. Oh, you know, Miley Cyrus is twerking, has made our, our daughters in America promiscuous. And it's like, no, your daughters aren't promiscuous because of Miley Cyrus. Your daughters are promiscuous because they're whores. I'm sorry. Your daughter didn't learn how to twerk from watching the VMAs. She learned how to twerk because that's what she's doing when you're not home. Get out of here. That's what I'm talking about. Like, you see these parents, oh, you know, our, our, our daughters, our daughters are, you know, no, no, they're not. If you're worried about your daughter being 16 and pregnant, it wasn't because she watched 16 and pregnant. It's because your daughter decided to let somebody dump some baby batter in her box. That's it. Wake the fuck up, people. Wake up. Take accountability for everything that happens in your lives. And stop trying to blame media, books, music, video games, and whatever mindless entertainment you have for that. It's true. People talking about... You know, a couple of months back, you remember everybody was talking about sexting. Everybody was talking about sexting. Oh, you know, all these all these shows, all these reality shows, they promote sexting. They promote our daughters being being naked and 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 showing their bodies. No, do you want to know what promoted your daughter to want to send a picture of her boobs to, to to little Johnny? It was the fact that she wanted little Johnny to stick it in. Do you think little Johnny had sent a picture of his ball bag to little Sue because he wanted Sue to feel good about herself? No, he told her, this is what's going to be on your chin tomorrow. Get the fuck out of here. Stop blaming everything other than yourselves for your shortcomings and your failures. It's not Facebook's fault. It's not Twitter's fault. It's not the press. It's uh, well, it is the press, but it's not the, you know, it's not video games. It's not movies. It's not music. It is you. I tell this to all my listeners. If you are a parent, hug your kids, talk to your kids, don't baby your kids and, and just be honest with them. Before I move on, I'm going to share a personal story and I may have shared it before. I may have not. When I was five or six years old. I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up on, and I, and I don't care. I can share this. I grew up on 1595 East 174th street. That was Bronx river projects. I lived there till I was 14 years old. 
During my time in Bronx River Projects, I got to see my first drive-by. I got to see numerous crack needles, numerous crack vials because I'm an 80s baby. I got to see a guy shoot himself up with crack or, or heroin in a stairwell on a consistent basis. I got to see people in Hunts Point, hookers, butt-ass naked, selling their bodies for drugs. Nothing surprises me. But the biggest thing that resonates with me, two things actually, was when I was about six years old, every neighborhood, especially if you grew up in the projects, every neighborhood had the local crackhead. He was the guy that would knock on your door at 12 o'clock on a Saturday and say, hey man, you want to buy this VCR? 25 bucks. And obviously you'd take a gamble or not in buying said VCR. You never let the guy into your house. You never he'd knock on your door, you'd look through the peephole, he'd hold up what what it was he was trying to sell you and you'd yell through the door nah or thanks but no thanks or whatever. Every neighborhood had a neighborhood crackhead. We all had one. So my mom said to me, she said, "Come here a second. Local crackhead. I believe his name was was Tony." Or, or they used to call him, what the hell they used to call him? I know his name was Tony, but he had like, a, every crackhead had a street name. Whatever it was, Flacco, or, or whatever lame, you know, poorly contrived ghetto Hispanic nickname they could have used. But anyway, said guy knocks on my door on a Saturday morning. My mom calls me, the guy comes up, she goes, I need you to see this. Guy, I was, at, I was five, I was getting ready to start school. Opens the door. Crackhead is there. She's like, oh, you know, she says to my mom, you know this guy, right? You know, my mom says to me, you know this guy. I'm like, yeah. And she says to him, you know my son, right? And he, go, he goes, yeah, you know, I see I see him. He goes downstairs to get the mail for you, etc. So my mother goes, show him. Guy reaches in his pocket, opens his hand, and his hands are a bag of crack, a crack vial, a joint, a needle and a couple of other pieces. Oh, a crack pipe and some other p- drug paraphernalia. The guy goes, do you know what any of this is? I was five. I, I didn't know. You know, all I knew was this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? That's what I knew. So I'm like, no, not really. So the guy opens it and he goes, this is crack. This is very bad. Don't ever use this. He goes, this is a needle. I stick this in my arm. This This is a crack pipe. I light this and I smoke crack. This is a joint. You know what this is? He's like, this is marijuana. He goes, you see me, right? And he, I go, yeah. He goes, your mom always says not to talk to me, right? And I'm like, yep. And he goes, if anyone ever offers you any of this stuff, you tell them no. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, I'm serious. If anyone ever offers you any of this stuff, you tell them no. And he said, and I quote, I wish someone would have done this for me. My mother sent me inside, reached on the top of the door frame, and gave the guy, I think it was 20 bucks. Gave him $20 for that. And I will never, ever forget it for three reasons. Number one, because this guy, he had the track marks. 
He was always scratching. Is it too late for the five o'clock free crack giveaway? That he was that type. Like like he was he was that. He was Dave Chappelle crackhead more or less, just Hispanic and with a very thick accent. And it 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 stuck with me forever, forever. I knew I I when I walked through the grass, I'd be careful not to step on any crack needles. I'd see the you know you see the pipes on the you know the little the little containers for crack, all that shit. My mother did that for me. Why? Because she said, if I don't do it, who's going to do it for you? Who's going to tell you this stuff is bad? That's it. That was it. When I was in the Cub Scouts, we went to visit a police precinct. My mom was the, was the, was the Cub Master. She said, oh, you know, I want you guys to go into this room. And it was a solitary confinement room. The guy shuts the door on us. We are all shitting ourselves because we're like, oh man, this guy messed up. And he shut the door on us. We were in there for about 10 minutes. Open the door. The cop opens the door. My mom is there. The other cub master's there. And the guy says to us, do you see what just happened? And we're like, yeah, you closed the door on us. He's like, no. If you get in trouble with the police, this is where we put you. And if you do something really bad, this is the room you will stay in for a long time. I said, fuck that. I'm claustrophobic as all hell. And I, I, I thought I was going to die in that room. And I was a kid. And this is what I'm saying. People don't do this shit anymore. Not, I'm not telling you to go out and give money to your local crackhead to show your kids what drugs are. But I'm just saying, be, be more proactive. Be more aware of what's going on, whether, and, and, and I'm talking about everything, everything, food, games, television, you should be well-versed in all the shit that your kid likes just to make sure that they're safe and that they're learning things the right way. Simple as that, you know, and Jay actually makes a valid point about the cops that used to come to school with the uh, the briefcase full of drugs. I remember that. That was years later when they used to do like the drug prevention programs in elementary schools. And we had that. The cop came in. He's like, do you know what this is? And I'm like, yep, that's cocaine. That's crack. That's this. He'd be like, how do you know all that? I'm like, oh, you know. And I'd tell him the story. And he'd say, wow. You know, like like that's how it is. Please. I, I, I wanted to talk about this Fox thing primarily for that. But just, just for those of you that are parents or are going to become parents. Yo, learn your shit. Learn it. It's not about you thinking you're too young. You know, your kids thinking, oh, you know, you're too old to know that stuff. Know your stuff. Everything. Make sure you go to Urban Dictionary. You learn what Molly is. Do it. You think it's funny. Go to Urban Dictionary, learn what Molly is and whatever other crazy nicknames are out there for drugs. So if you hear one of your knuckleheaded kids say something like that, you can do the right thing and make sure your kid doesn't end up on a fucking police blotter or isn't a statistic. This isn't a public service announcement. This isn't me telling you how to raise your kids. This is me just being legit with the, with, with the realities of life. You know, my mom raised a lot of foster kids. There's nothing more traumatizing than watching an infant go through drug withdrawal. Nothing. Nothing in this world will prepare you for that. And I've seen it. I've seen some shit. And this isn't the rich confessional. 
even though one day one day I may sit down and and write a book or 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 record an audio book and share all my stories but I'm I'm legit. And like Jay said, young parents want to be friends with their kids. That is a big no-no. I'm raising my sisters. I'm friends with them, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, you can't get you know, put on time out. Just the facts of life, folks. That's it. Anyway, this is the end of Rich's parenting segment. Let's get into into the rest of the uh, gaming news for this week. One of the things I came across during my travels was a lot of price drops, which actually coming soon confirmed on the Nintendo side of things. If you want to pick up some Nintendo Wii games, Super Mario Galaxy 2, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, and Wii Sports Resort have all been dropped to $29.99. Super Mario Galaxy 2, of course, is the first game you know, is tied with the first game as one of the best-reviewed games of all time with a Metacritic score of 97. It sold over 2.7 million units in the U.S. New Super Mario Brothers has sold over 9.4 million units in the U.S., and Wii Sports Resort has sold almost 7. If you want to pick up some timeless classics, folks, pick them up. Mario, Mario Galaxy 2, New Super Mario Brothers, and... um. Wii Sports Resort will all run you 30 bucks. Now, I got to see something very, very cool this week, and I think this is probably a trend that we're going to start seeing. If you are going to be picking up Iron Man 3, you may want to pick up the Jarvis app, which you can download for your iOS devices. Android users get fucked. But what's cool is that Jarvis actually allows you to... It's going to be like an interactive assistant on your phone, and it's also a second screen experience for Iron Man 3, which is very, very cool. Um, Using the Jarvis app on your phone or your iPad will allow you to unlock all 42 armors in the Iron Man 3 Blu-ray plus a ghost file. You can also use it as a digital assistant, including an alarm clock, local weather, and posting to social media. So if you're, a, if you're a fan of Jarvis from the Iron Man movies, you can add him to your iOS devices. Again, look up the Jarvis app. It's free. Um, Iron Man 3 comes on, D, on DVD and Blu-ray, I believe, next month. Um, obviously, the film... Uh, actually, no, correction. Iron Man's coming on Blu-ray on September 24th, but you can pick up the app now for your iOS devices. We got some Arkham Origin news, and um, it's funny that, you know, Arkham Origins Blackgate is coming out, and we shared the trailer on MyTakeRadio.com. It looks really good, and it's not like your regular Batman game. Actually, they're going to do something different, and they actually borrowed inspiration from the Mega Man games. Uh, Mark Pacini actually did an interview with Polygon, and he said that when you play Batman Arkham Origins Blackgate, you're actually going to be able to pick the order that you fight the game's bosses in and that the the rewards and special items you, you earn from beating the bosses will allow you to defeat the other bosses. They actually borrowed that inspiration from Mega Man. So if you're going to pick up Arkham Origins Blackgate, you're going to see what the deal is with that. Um, of course, that game hits PlayStation Vita and the Nintendo 3DS on October 25th. So there you have it. The big news, of course, GTA 5 hits stores next week. Everyone I know is going to get it in some capacity. PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, both consoles, you name it, all of us are going to get it. 
Most of the MTR staff are going to get it. Some of us are going to review it. Maybe more than one of us is going to review it. But here's the crazy thing. NeoGAF actually reported that GTA 5 cost $265 million to create. That was a combination of development and marketing. The game has been in development for five years and is on tap to become one of the best-selling games of the current console generation with 2.5 million pre-orders already in the books. Now, here's the crazy statistic. GTA 5 cost $265 million. The production budget for The Avengers was $200 million. Of course, it was higher when you factor in marketing, but think about it. The production budget for The Avengers was $200 million. GTA 5 cost $265 million. I'm just saying, it is a crazy number. Crazy. Just something to keep in mind when your brain is rotting from playing hours upon hours upon hours of GTA. The game hits stores September 17th on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. So there you have it, ladies and gents. And of course, a review will follow in some capacity from one of us on MyTakeRadio.com. If you are a Final Fantasy fan, you'll actually be happy with these news. Digital Spy actually put out a report saying that Final Fantasy 14, A Realm Reborn, will be free on the PlayStation 4 if you already own the PlayStation 3 version. PS3 users will also be able to transfer their characters and items to the PlayStation 4 version of that game. The game is currently available for PS3 and PC with subscriptions starting at $9.99. Of course, there are free trial periods available, but... You know, the company had to stop downloads on the PSN because of server issues, which they're hoping to fix. And Square is offering full refunds. But if you will be picking up, if you're going to have the game and you're going to be picking up a PlayStation 4, you will be able to get that game for free. So I want to shift gears a little bit and kind of branch out from gaming and talk about uh, some tech news from this week. And of course, that is the announcement of not only iOS 7, but brand new iPhones. So iOS 7 is coming out next week. You'll be able to use it on on your iPhone 4 all the way up to the new ones. Of course, iPad 2 and um, iPad 2 and, and higher. And of course, the iPad mini and the fifth generation iPod touch. Of course, you're going to get redone notifications, a redone calendar, new Siri functions and the control center plus iTunes radio. But The crazy thing that came out of this is the fact that the 5S, the new iPhone 5S, is going to have a 64-bit A7 processor, which not only is going to double the speed of the previous, you know, the previous iPhone 5, and of course, allow for compatibility with 32-bit apps, but the M7 will be able to monitor motion data, which will be huge from the gaming side of things. They actually showed off Infinity Blade 3, which is also coming out September 20th, and it's going to be the final game in the series. It'll let you use two characters across eight worlds, but the how, the power of the game, how beautiful it looked, how smooth it looked, was just, it was mind-blowing. Now, you're probably saying to yourselves, oh, Rich, you know, iPhone 5, iPhone 5S, why do I want it, blah, blah, blah. I can't I can't tell you that you should buy it or you shouldn't. All I can say is that the 5S definitely 
from a performance standpoint, got a substantial boost. Now, with regards to gaming, this is going to open up a wealth of possibilities. Obviously, adding in the the, the monitoring of motion data, which they're going to start using with um, you know the Nike Fuel tracker and things of that nature, it's gonna it's gonna carry over into the gaming space. It's gonna be huge. Not only that, but you're gonna get you know 10 hours of 3G talking and LTE browsing, 40 hours of playback. This is on the 5S. And the camera is going to have burst mode due to the new processor and an image stabilizer as well. The big thing everybody was talking about, of course, was the fingerprint reader, which if you're paranoid and worried about the NSA getting your information, it definitely is going to raise some red flags. But from a, from a strictly techie and gaming standpoint, I was thoroughly impressed with what they offered. Now, the five the five C or the five color is, you know, it's another story. It replaces the existing iPhone 5, and it comes in a bunch of colors, green, blue, yellow, pink, and white. It's going to have a polycarbonate shell instead of the metal exterior, but the guts are still going to be high-quality inside. Uh, Same display as the iPhone 5, but you're getting the A6 processor instead of the A7, you know, LTE, Bluetooth, and the 8-megapixel camera. Now, pre-orders for the, the 5C have already started since it's after midnight, um, it's going to run you, I believe $99 for the 16 gig, one ninety nine thirty thirty for the 32, of course, with contract off contract, it's 550 bucks for the, um, 16 gig and 649 for the 32 gig. The 5S though, it's, it's a lot more money. Uh, it's going to come in black, silver, and gold, and it's going to be one ninety nine for the 16, 300 for the 32 and 400 for the 64 gig. Now, again, like I've said, the reason I want to talk about this is because the the enhancements from a technological standpoint for mobile devices is just really, really starting to, to even the playing field in terms of consuming gaming content. Now, of course, the Nintendo 3DS and the PlayStation Vita have the upper hands respectively, but the changes that are being implemented with mobile devices, especially on the Apple end, and even with the, with the Note 3, which Slick saw when we attended the Note 3 event, it's just the fact that that mobile devices, well, you know, tele, you know, cell phones are going into this this new stage where they're just they're more than just answer the phone, send pictures of your balls to your girlfriend, and text message and email. There's more to it. There's there's this new evolution of, of devices that are tracking not only your lifestyle, but you're monitoring your, your health, you're monitoring your sleep, you're, it, it, we're so we're becoming a, a man and machine, basically, from the sense of, you know, it's, it's crazy just because, um, no, I don't, Strider. And why would I do that? I'm getting married. That's, that makes no sense. Hence why I'm not going to your... Uh, New Orleans thing, but that's a separate issue. Anyway, but seriously, you, um, you're taking these devices and, and they're more than just answering the phone. I remember I did a review for the, for the Lark device, which is a device to monitor your sleep. Now this device, you wore a, a quarter size sensor on your wrist. Um, and it would, you'd sync it with your phone or your iPad or whatever. And what it did was the the sensor would monitor how long it would take for me to go into REM sleep. And you'd wake up in the morning, you'd open your iPad or your phone or whatever, and you'd have a graph showing your 
your sleep patterns. And I thought that this was this was just a a move into into the it was so futuristic and so crazy. And if you're curious to see that, um, you can you can read my review on the Lark device. But just when I when I when I did that study, it's because I have very erratic sleep patterns. But it was also because I I really wanted to see if it if it could really monitor that stuff. And I was just shocked at the results. You know, you're seeing all this data being picked up from a, a quarter size device and you're it's pairing with your phone and your phone is giving you all this information that you'd have to go and take a sleep study and do all this stuff. Not to say that you're going to get the same accuracy with regards to results, but you're monitoring all this stuff. I mean, the, the Nike fuel band is another great example. The, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the Fitbit, which is actually what I'm going to be picking up. You know, I want to use it because I'm in the gym. You want to monitor your heart rate. You want to see what your resting heart rate is. You want to see how many steps you take. You don't have to wear all this cumbersome equipment or, you know, uh, a um, a heart monitor and all this stuff. You just, a little band and your phone and that's it. And this is what I'm saying. It's, it's just the technology is becoming so crazy. Now, imagine, imagine this same technology, like the motion data being applied to the, to the gaming space. Like just being able to have your, your character that you're playing in an RPG sleep when you sleep, be awake when you're awake, walk when you're walking and just be part of, of this whole, you know, just this whole level of, of new experiences that you'll be able to do. Like you're playing an RPG, you're playing the RPG for a few hours. You go to bed. When you go to bed, imagine you put your phone down for the night and like my phone has a setting, it's called quiet hours where I can actually set when my phone goes silent on all notifications. I never shut my phone off, obviously, because I have, you know, my two sisters and my grandmother and all this stuff. So I like, I need to be plugged in. So from the hours of 1 a.m. till till 5 a.m., my phone automatically goes on silent. Now imagine that same feature and you're implementing, you know, motion data and you're playing, say, an RPG game and you're using your hunter and you're navigating through a forest and you're done playing for the night. You put your game in silent hours and the character you're playing sets up a tent and goes to bed. And the next day you wake up, you play, you start your game up and your character is ready to go. And, you know, it, it'll it'll raise your experience points or whatever. This is what I'm talking about. Like, these are the things that while, yeah, you're looking at the iPhone and you're like, ah, it's just another fucking toy or fuck Steve Jobs or Apple sucks or whatever. I don't I don't talk about it from the standpoint of Android's better than Apple, Apple's better than Android. I talk about the fact that these enhancements that you look at and they're hokey and they're weird, they are, you know, Animal Crossing is a great example, Jay, and that's what I'm saying. You know, it, it's hell, Slick, Slick used his, uh, his 3DS. What game was it that you were using your 3DS on, Slick, that monitored like you're walking or, or where you were? I, I forgot what game it was. You mentioned it to me. Just let me know in the chat. But that's what I'm saying. Like these, these new technologies, this evolution of just, just being connected isn't just about a new $500 iPhone. It's about, it's about just the, the technology being implemented into gaming. A great example of this that they were talking about is we know 
Apple has Siri. Well, allegedly, Microsoft is going to be creating their own version of Siri aptly titled Cortana. Of course, based off the Halo title. Now, the plan with Cortana is to introduce that navigation system into Windows Mobile, but also allow Cortana to interface with Windows 8, with your Xbox, and everything. At, using you know a similar style like Siri does. Now the crazy thing is, or Google Now. Now the crazy thing is, like you're saying to yourself, oh, you know, Siri's fucking bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But think about it. Think about the fact that you're creating this brand new piece of technology that will allow you to interact with your system with your voice. Like you can say, you know, which is partially what the Connect and the Xbox One are doing now. Like, you know, Xbox turn on. Um, Xbox change channel, Xbox search for this, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I don't think you want people to hear you say Xbox, go to browsers.com, but Hey, some people may do that. Not to say it hasn't been done, but I'm just saying it's just that the technology is people. And this is the crazy thing. Facebook, Twitter, as soon as Apple's announcement was done, they're like, Oh, you know, Fuck Apple. This shit is bullshit. Yada fucking yada. yada you know, sucks, whatever. Listen, I don't, I don't, I'm not a guy that goes around and tells people what they should or shouldn't buy. I'm a firm believer in you use the devices that allow you to be the most productive and work the best. And I, I use both Apple devices and Android devices. So for me, it's, um, you know, it is what it is. Everybody in the chat is is talking about browsers. <laughs> I only said browsers because it's a, it's a website that, you know, it's it's the craziest thing I could have came up with at the top of my head. Yes, Pornhub. Yes, Spankwire. Yes, RedTube, etc. Yes, we know. Christ, I just gave out a whole bunch of free pornography websites on air. Sue me. It's one o'clock in the morning. Anyway, what I'm saying is like these new technologies, while yeah, they're they're enhancing your mobile experience, their usage from a gaming standpoint is what I'm very, very, very curious about. And if any of you guys pick up the the 5S and pick up Infinity Blade, I would definitely love to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you think of that. And um, you know, we'll take it from there. I personally will not be picking up a 5S. I will be picking up a Note 3. I'm sure uh, Slick will as well. Uh, my wife kind of wants the 5S because she currently has an iPhone 5. But you know what? She takes a lot of photos. Um, I'm sure she'll make use of the slow-mo. And um, from a gaming standpoint, she's not going to give a shit because she plays Candy Crush. But like the slow-mo photography and all that stuff, she'll definitely use. So she may be picking it up. And if she does, I'll, I'll share my thoughts with you guys. While we are on the subject of mobile gaming, um, Assassin's Creed is actually making its its way to iOS and Android devices with Assassin's Creed Pirates, which will focus on naval combat and Treasure, it's going to be in the same universe as Assassin's Creed Black Flag. You guys probably may have seen it also in the article I published on MyTakeRadio.com. Also, while we're on the subject of Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Liberation, which was a Vita title, will be getting an HD remake this fall, which will be released on PSN, Xbox Live, and the PC. One guy who, you know is a huge gamer and actually delivered one of the one of the better movie tie-in games is Vin Diesel. 
you guys may have remembered that he did uh, Riddick, Pitch Black's Assault on Butcher Bay, uh, Butcher Bay, Butcher Bay, <laughs> Escape from Butcher Bay, and Assault on Dark Athena. And, um, you know, Vin Diesel said that they're actually going to be working on a brand new Riddick game, which is going to probably be more akin to an MMO. And you'd actually be playing as mercenaries in the Riddick universe. He said that it's a huge concept they're working on where you'll be able to play with mercs and, you know, do deal with the entire merc trade. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely interesting to see Riddick coming back into the gaming universe. Um, Escape from Butcher Bay was an awesome game. I had it on Xbox One and I really, really enjoyed it. It was probably, like I said, one of the few movie tie-in games I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Jay Santi says that Butcher Bay Freudian slip. Perhaps, perhaps not. But um, yeah, seriously, I'm curious to see how they plan on doing um, an MMO game taking place in the Pitch Black slash Riddick universe. All right, so last bit of gaming news. We got two, well, three things to concern ourselves with. Of course, the MPD numbers for the month of August are out, and that's always fun conversation. So let's get into it. Uh, the month of August has, is is very telling, obviously, because it's right before back to school. We try and get uh, certain companies got a couple of solid releases out there that are worth noting, and I'm going to get into it. Let's talk about hardware sales first and foremost. They were actually down 40% compared to August of last year. The entire hardware segment brought in $90.8 million. But Nintendo's 3DS was its... You know, had its fourth month in a row as the best-selling piece of hardware in the U.S. Microsoft's Xbox 360 enjoyed also another push, um, earning it best-selling console honors, selling 96,000 units. So, the 3DS was the best-selling piece of hardware in the U.S. for the month of August, and of course the 360 took, took honors on the home console front, but... Year-to-year software sales were up 23%, $293.4 million was earned in the month of August versus last year, which was $237.9 million. Eight out of August's top 10 best-selling games that launched during the month achieved double sales volumes versus the top 10 games from last year. So here's how it breaks down. Madden 25, Saints Row, Disney Infinity all had a huge, huge impact in the MPD numbers for this month, especially on the accessory side, looking at Disney Infinity. Uh, the accessory segment made $136 million in income. That's a 7% increase from last year. Of course, you got to also factor in Skylanders accessories and um, the Infinity and Skylanders accessories actually accounted for one in every three pieces of accessories sold this month, which is ridiculous. So let's get into the MPD titles. Obviously, in the uh, bottom of the rung was Pikmin 3, followed by Final Fantasy 14, Payday 2, NCAA 14, Mario and Luigi Dream Team, Minecraft for Xbox 360, Splinter Cell, Blacklist. Disney Infinity, Saints Row 4 was number 2, and the number 1 best-selling title for the month of August, not shocked in the least, was Madden 25. 
Now, here's here's something that's worth noting on the Nintendo side of things. Um, Mario and Luigi Dream Team sold 190,000 units since its release in August 2011. Meanwhile, Pikmin sold more than 115,000 units since August 4th. New Super Mario, Lu- uh, New Super Luigi U has sold almost 120,000 units since re- being refreshed on August 25th. So Nintendo's definitely making some serious strides. Um, as of you know their year-to-date numbers, six uh, six and a half million, well, six point five million 3DS, uh, six bleh, excuse me, six point five 3DS uh, 3DS titles have been sold in 2013 with Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon being the best-selling title, selling 863,000 physical and digital copies. Animal Crossing New Leaf came in second, having sold 739,000 units in both physical and digital formats. So, definitely solid numbers. Um, Ah, that was a mistake. Thank you, Slick. Uh, Super Mario uh, Dream Team came out in 2013, not 2011. That was a typo on my part, so don't quote me again. Uh, Mario and Luigi Dream Team came out in 2013. Ah, I know why I messed up. I had written down August 11th, and it was supposed to be August 2013, so that was a typo. Thank you, Slick. But definitely very telling numbers. I'm happy to see that Nintendo is still in the game selling a lot of great titles, um, I know a couple of of people with kids that have picked up Disney Infinity on their Wii U and their Wii console. Some kids just wanted it on the Wii and the Wii U for some reason, but it's definitely good to see. Um, I I really I I come on air a lot and I shit on Nintendo, but it's not really about shitting on Nintendo. I just want Nintendo to succeed. That's it. I just want Nintendo to succeed and be better and be more relevant. That's all. I want them to succeed. I come on here and I shit on them, but you got to you got to account for the fact that they have one, two rough. They, they basically have three titles in the top 10. I mean, Disney Infinity was multi-platform, but still three titles they have in the top 10 for MPD for the month of August. You can't you can't say that they're not putting out some solid shit when applicable because they are. But as always, there's always more than meets the eye in that regard. Lastly, got to talk about G4. Um, You know, G4, when we last left off, was supposed to be rebranded as the Esquire Network. You know this because they fired all the staff, they got rid of all the original programming. All we see on G4 now are reruns of Cops, Predator, and RoboCop 2. But it turns out, get this, G4 may actually still live on. Months after laying off, you know, all their staff and canceling all their shows, NBC Universal has decided to keep G4 alive. I found this out via an article in The Hollywood Reporter. Instead of G4 becoming the Esquire channel, they have decided that they're going to leave G4 and instead the Style Network will be the network that will be rebranded as G4. How crazy is that? At least for the foreseeable future, G4 will remain active. And, um, you know, of course, it's unlikely that they're going to invest in original programming, but Esquire will be replacing the style network. So there you have it, folks. G4 lives on, but without any original programming, which at this point makes it 
fucking worthless. There you have it, ladies and gents. That's going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment news. So we're going to get the ball rolling, talking about the Hunger Games catching fire, which studios are, you know, Hollywood is so pumped to take everybody's money that they will actually be selling advanced tickets beginning October 1st at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. So there you have it. If you are a huge, hardcore Hunger Games fan that thinks that there will be no tickets when the movie hits theaters November 22nd, Feel free to give away your money on October 1st at 12, starting at 12 o'clock on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. There you have it. I saw the Hunger Games movie. I didn't read the books. My wife did. I was very impressed with, with the amount of violence that was on display and the storytelling was good. And I didn't hate the cast, unlike Twilight, which is complete dog shit. But um, yeah, Hunger Games catching fire. You can bag those tickets. If you're if you're really 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 desperate on October first at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. So I wanted to talk about this because I kind of want to throw this in the small screen category, well, in the what the fuck movie news category. So get this: we all know the Wizard of Oz. We know it very well. Um, we also know about the the last movie that came out with uh, Mila Kunis, which was very enjoyable. But we, we know the deal with The Wizard of Oz. Well, check this out. So, there's all these crazy small screen interpretations they're going to put out. But I want to share them with you because they're so out of this world. So, they definitely belong in what the fuck TV news. CBS is working on a medical soap opera titled Dorothy. And NBC is working on an Emerald City, which is a dark reimagining of the story. But here's the crazy one. The CW is working on one, according to Deadline, called Dorothy Must Die, which is being created by Tim Kring, who many of you know from Heroes. Now, the series, the, the, the show is going to be based on a revisionist take, which is set in the present day. Now, here's where it gets crazy. It takes place 80 years after Dorothy Gale supposedly came home. In reality, the magically ever youthful Dorothy has stayed in Oz presiding over a now fascist fairyland with her perfectly manicured iron fist and with the help of her henchmen, the scarecrow, the tin man, and the cowardly lion. But when another young woman from Kansas is swept into a tornado and magically dropped into war-torn Oz, our hero discovers a revolutionary underground of witches and enchanted beings, only to learn that she is destined to lead the people in a fight to reclaim Oz from the power-hungry Dorothy. What the fuck, man? I mean, in theory, it sounds pretty cool, but I'm just curious about about the necessity to do a Wizard of Oz anything. Like, I understand we have, um, what's the story? There's one show, it's on CBS, that, that has to do with, like, all the fairy tales, and I'm trying to remember what it's called, because I've never seen it. I think it's one, once upon a time or once, whatever it is. But 
I think that show does a pretty solid job in that category. But first off, CBS wants to create a medical a medical soap opera in the world of the Wizard of Oz. What the fuck? And, but the CW concept, the whole Dorothy must die thing. Here's the here's the crazy part. Reading that. You, you already say to yourself, isn't that already on television as once or as once upon a time, whatever it's called? Like, I understand, you know, the CW wants to do, you know, some, some, some fringe programming. But personally, I don't see a necessity for any type of Wizard of Oz revisionist story on the small screen. There's a ton of other stuff out there that, that still can be adapted for the small screen. And some of them are better than others. And I got one that's definitely a doozy. And I'll talk about that later on. But The Wizard of Oz, eh, not, not so much. I mean, would I watch Dorothy Must Die? May, you know, probably, just to see how it is. Is Tim Kring, you know, he, he's a, he's, he has a good track record. But again, revisionist, Dorothy is evil, the the Scarecrow, Tim Man, and the Cowardly Lion are henchmen. Eh, you know, like like it's too much going on, but... Who knows? Maybe it won't be as bad, but it's definitely a what the fuck entertainment news story for sure. Now, I've been following this other story a, a little bit more closely, especially after hearing about the second part of this interview. And it was uh, Vin Diesel. He did an interview with um, Maria Menounos, and they were talking about him being involved in a 2016 Phase Three film. For the Marvel Universe. Now, of course, we already know that he will be voicing Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy. But here's the thing. He said that he met with Marvel about a Phase 3 project that's that's going to be going on way, way, going down, you know, way, way down the road. I'm curious because Vin Diesel's already playing Groot. So I'm curious as to what else he can do in the Marvel Universe. Some people are saying Vision. Eh, it's a bit of a stretch. But he's definitely working on something else with the with with Marvel. But the other thing that came out, which was a little crazy, was that they're working on a merging of properties, which is very very crazy. He said, um, "E, where the hell is it? It's uh." He said, "Yeah, think about a merging of of projects down the road with Marvel." Now. People have been saying, oh, you know, maybe one of, one of Vin Diesel's characters is going to come into the Marvel Universe. The only character that I've seen him portray, excluding the Iron Giant, is Dominic Toretto and Riddick. And if any character would work in the Marvel Universe, especially in the space universe, it would probably be Riddick. I think Riddick would work very well, you know, in that Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel Universe because... He's a character that just, he, he looks like he belongs in that universe. I kind of, he almost, I don't want to say he's like real world Lobo, but I'm talking about characters that, that, that have been fairly successful. And honestly, with, with the Riddick property, you got the two games, you got three movies under your belt. They've all been making money. Who knows? Maybe Riddick will actually become a property of Marvel. I'm very interested to see where those negotiations go. And, of course, I'm interested in seeing what they do with Phase 3. Now, of course, uh, Strider says Fast and Furious and Spider-Man, and Jay Santi says The Pacifier. Hey, you never know, but in all honesty, I, I kind of see Riddick 
working in the Marvel Universe. I don't know what they'll do with them, but I think it'll work. I mean, they took Angela from Image and they put her in the Marvel Universe, and she's been pretty cool in Guardians of the Galaxy. So we'll see what happens. Of course, once I learn more, I will share the news with you guys. So now that we're a a couple of weeks out from Ben Affleck's announcement of being Batman in Man of Steel 2, Josh Brolin actually confirmed rumors that he was up for the role of Batman. He said, I didn't have any conversations about it, but Zach, that was part of his idea. It just didn't work out. It's okay. You know, another scenario might have worked better, but I'm happy for Ben. When asked about, you know, the online reaction to Ben's casting, he said, I've never seen such a global reaction in my life. I feel for him truly. I'd, I would not want to be him right now. The reaction becomes so personal. It's like, fuck this guy. I wish he was dead. And you're like, what? Dude, seriously, this guy is just working like you are. He's doing the same thing you are. He's trying to make the best choices he can. I want him to kick ass and I want everyone to love it and kind of eat their words. Of course, Man of Steel 2 is heading to theaters July 17th, 2015. You guys already know my feelings on Ben Affleck as as Batman. Um... Like I said, I'm not, I I can't, I can't with good conscience come on air and say, yo, fuck that guy for the simple fact that it's a different Ben Affleck than, you know, Gigli and Reindeer Games and Daredevil and some of those other duds. It's a different caliber of guy. It's a different type of actor. He's, he's in a different place mentally. And, and from an acting standpoint, I, I think it's worth giving a chance because think about all the negative press that was done when Heath Ledger was announced as the Joker. Let's think back to when Michael Keaton was announced as Batman. Think about that. I remember people legitimately shitting on Michael Keaton because he was not the guy they envisioned to play Batman. And not for nothing, he played one of the one of the more you know, iconic Batmans in in history, of course, Christian Bale is there, but when you thought of Batman, you didn't think George Clooney, you didn't think you didn't think of, um, uh, what the hell is that? Val Kilmer. You know, I always felt Batman before Christian Bale came into the picture was Adam West and Michael Keaton. And now I say it's Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, and Adam West. Definitely not Val Kilmer. Definitely not George Clooney. Simple as that. I think that Ben Affleck deserves the opportunity to fail. He deserves the opportunity to come on screen and suck versus me me coming out here and automatically saying it'll be shit. Like I said, he was never you know, he was never my 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 first choice or my 10th choice. You guys know my feelings on that, but I want to give the guy the opportunity to fail on his own terms. That's all. Let's get into some box office totals. Of course, no shocker there. Riddick was number one in the box office, earning $18.7 million, dethroning Lee Daniels, the butler, from the knocking it to the number two slot, earning $8.9 million. The butler has made $91.9 million total. Instructions not included was number three. Where the Millers was number four. Planes was number five. One Direction This Is Us was number six. Elysium was number seven. Blue Jasmine was number eight. Percy Jackson, Sea of Monsters was number nine. And The World's End was number 10. In some sequel news, it looks like the Croods will be getting another sequel. The first film has earned $585 million. 
and the entire cast will be returning. Nicolas Cage, Ryan Reynolds, and Emma Stone have all signed on to reprise their roles. Um, I was really surprised that the Croods did as good as it did because I saw the trailers, I saw parts of the movie here and there, and I just didn't feel it was that great. I was like, all right, cavemen, great. You know, like, it didn't it didn't really blow my mind, but looks like it's getting a sequel. I mean, when you earn $500, $585 million, it's a guarantee that a sequel is imminent. In some Marvel movie news, Ant-Man has been moved from November 6, 2015 to July 31st, 2015. Of course, the film will be the launching pad for the Phase 3 of the Cinematic Universe and follows Avengers Age of Ultron, which hits theaters May 1st, 2015. So there you have it. Um, It's going to be very interesting to see if Ant-Man will gain the kind of traction that Marvel is expecting only because I feel he's he's kind of an obscure character, just a character that's more known for his adventures with the Avengers versus his solo, you know, his solo adventures. But who knows? I mean, Marvel's taken a lot of big gambles in, on, on a bunch of fronts, and they've been extremely successful. I honestly thought a Thor movie was going to suck, and it pleasantly surprised me. So we'll see. Ant-Man, like I said, Phase 3 will be in theaters July 31st, 2015. In some other small screen news, The Hollywood Reporter said that FX is going to be working on a TV series based on American Psycho. There you have it. Um, It's going to be created by Allison Shearmer, and it's going to be written by Stefan Jaworski and published by Lionsgate Television. Now, of course, the series will follow up of course, then one of my favorite novels, of course, Brett Easton Ellis, American Psycho. And of course, the the film which came out in 2000, um, the end of the film, of course, however, suggested that the movie, may, the entire chain of events may have been in his head. But who knows? The book definitely is a recommended read. If you have not read American Psycho, I advise you to do so. There is certain things in that book that had they made it to the silver screen probably would have traumatized countless people because they were fucking insane. Now, the way they want to tell this new story is that, you know, Patrick Bateman is going to be in his mid fifties and he's going to be taking on a protege in a, in a, in a social experiment atmosphere. His goal would be to create a killer that is his equal. So I definitely like the concept. I would have never thought that, you know, American Psycho would be adapted for the for the small screen, much less get any sort of follow-up because the sequel to that was complete shit with Mila Kunis. But as it turns out, it's going to come out on FX, and I'm curious to see what they do with it because FX has, has great programming, and I think that if you were going to do a TV series based on American Psycho, you would want to go maybe Showtime, HBO, or even Stars, but... I commend FX for taking chances, and I'm going to be following this story with much interest. Of course, Jurassic Park 4 is in the news once again this week, as it has been retitled to Jurassic World. It is expected to hit theaters June 12, 2015. Of course, summer 2015 is going to be huge with Star Wars Episode 7, Avengers Age of Ultron, the rumored Terminator 5, Batman, Superman, and Ant-Man, among others. Definitely a cramped 
summer schedule for 2015. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with the Jurassic Park franchise now that it's being titled Jurassic World. A movie I've talked about on and off was the uh, brand new Dracula movie, which is now also being retitled, and that's going to be now called Dracula Untold. That will be in theaters August 3rd, 2014. Luke Evans, Dominic Cooper, and um, Luke Evans will be playing Dracula, and basically this is going to be an origin story about Dracula and, of course, Vlad the Impaler. So definitely very interesting to see Luke Evans in a leading man role. Will it pan out? We'll have to wait till next year for the full story. Of course, the other small screen news that everyone's excited about is that AMC and Sony Pictures have agreed to create a Breaking Bad spinoff about Saul Goodman. So there you have it. Better Call Saul, which is the working title for the moment, will be based on Bob Odenkirk's Saul Goodman character from Breaking Bad. The plan is for his for this series to be a prequel series focusing on Saul before he met Walter White and became his lawyer. So definitely very interesting to see that. And of course, with with the success of Breaking Bad, I'm sure Better Call Saul will be just as good. In some casting news, Digimon Hansu will be joining the cast of Fast and Furious 7. He will be joining Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Jason Statham, Tyrese, Tony Jaa, the rumored Kurt Russell, and... Um, no idea who his character is going to be yet, but usually, I mean, considering the characters that are involved, I'm sure, I, I, I'm I, almost certain he's not going to be running with Vin Diesel, but you never know. Anyway, Fast 7 hits theaters July 11th, 2014. The other bit of movie news that I'm sure has got countless people chomping at the bit is a spinoff from the J.K. Rowling Harry Potter series. This brand new series of films will be based on Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That's the book that Harry Potter, Ron, and Hermione read in the books, which was also later released as a book for fans to purchase. Uh, the book, uh, the film is going to be an original story, and it's going to follow the author of the book, Newt Scamander. Uh, J.K. Rowling will, of course, write the first film herself, and you know it's going to mark her screenwriting debut. Uh, definitely very interesting, especially with Harry Potter just out of the news for so long. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go and what they plan on doing with it. Um, I'm sure with J.K. Rowling's involvement, it will continue to be a cash cow for the Harry Potter universe. Uh, once we get more news on it, of course, I will share it with you guys. We got some Star Wars news this week. We talked about uh, the Star Wars sequels quite a bit when the initial announcement came out, but things have been pretty quiet. Um, one of the things that people were talking about quite a bit were the Star Wars spinoff films, which uh, Variety is reporting that these Star Wars spinoff films will be origin stories. These films are going to be released between episodes 7, 8, and 9, and will all be standalone movies, but origin films. So there you go. Like a Han- uh, You're going to get a Han Solo origin film, Maybe a uh, you know a deeper telling of of you know Boba Fett, so who knows? But there you have it. Any films released between episodes seven, eight, and nine will be origin stories. And throw this in your what the fuck movie news category as well. It looks like Jerry Bruckheimer is working on bringing Bad Boys back to the big screen. He is actually working on a brand new script for Bad Boys Three. 
but also a sequel for Beverly Hills Cop, which, you know, after the the departure of the show's uh, crew for the small screen, they decided to go back to the big screen with Beverly Hills Cop. So Beverly Hills Cop 4 is coming back, obviously, now on the big screen, and Bad Boys 3 is also starting to come together. Um, they're trying to figure out if they can get everybody back on board, but we'll see, you know, you know, after doing such a small scale film like pain and gain and doing such a large scale film like transformers, if Michael Bay really wants to jump back into that, but you never know, especially if they get a good script. So there you have it folks. Bad boys three is possibly in the works and Beverly Hills cop four is coming to the big screen after failing to get a pilot on the small screen. All right, guys, crazy as it is, that's actually everything for this week. So let's take it home and wrap things up. You've just heard my take radio episode 198. I almost messed up and said 194 episode 198 for Thursday, August 12th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. As always, we're always looking for new writers and and talented individuals to add to our team. Make sure, if you're interested, to fill out the Write For Us application on MyTakeRadio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. And if you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that. As for social media, you can find us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, on Facebook, Look for facebook.com forward slash my take radio or just type in my take radio into the search bar. Add us to your circle on Google Plus, and you can also follow us on Instagram. I am rich underscore MTR on Instagram. Most of it is a lot of food pictures, but I do share some gaming stuff as well. Last but not least, if you want the best and most complete MTR experience, make sure to pick up the my take radio app available for Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. You can pick it up for Android in the Amazon Marketplace. And, of course, for iOS devices on iTunes and for newly available uh, Windows 8 and Windows uh, Windows Mobile devices, you can also pick up the MyTake Radio app via their store as well. That's actually been available for two weeks. I think I may have not mentioned it last week, but if you use Windows Mobile or Windows 8, you can pick up the official MTR app. Again, it is $1.99. And of course, any other episodes you can listen to via archives on MyTakeRadio.com, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, the Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. Once again, if you're getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We would really appreciate it. Gets us into the top 100 and allows, and allows us to be seen by a brand new audience. Make sure to enter our Bounty Killer DVD contest to, to win a DVD copy of Bounty Killer. Details are on MyTakeRadio.com, and we will be putting it on a Facebook on ugh, Facebook <laughs> on the Facebook fan page once I wrap the show. All right, guys, time to take it home. Uh, this evening we're gonna play a brand new track from our friends at OCRemix.org. That track is from the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 series, and the title is Chemical Plant Zone, originally composed by Masato Nakamura, and the remixed by Air 
3S. All right, guys, on behalf of myself, Slick, Jay Santi, Andrea, the Buried Boys, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family, I am out of here. I will catch you guys next week. Peace. That's all, folks. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>